Welcome to episode 9 of Miniatures Monthly at the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston, and as ever, I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Month 9, the final month, I think, in which we will attempt to tie the episode to a chaos god. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to do? What's that? What's Have a different joke. But this is the most exciting number month for mm. me, because it is the month of change. It's your month, Chris. It is. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> yes. But yeah, um, it is, yes, it's... All change here at Miniatures Monthly, as almost everything stays the same. <laughs> it is uh, it is it is a little bit magical this month. Yeah, you're feeling it. It's autumn is running in. Um, yeah, the well, the season is changing around. Never you never really associate you know the great changer Zinch with a bit of Christmas magic. But <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah, you know, he's the god of Christmas magic now. He's the god of Christ- god of Christmas magic. Like Perfect. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I felt it as well. In fact, in fact, you know, the last couple of days have been a kind of nice, um, I felt like a, a, a refresh on my hobby stuff because a lot of big projects have come to an end mm-hmm. and it feels like I've come to the end of a period where everything was a big, sometimes a little bit stressful deadline project, right? which are very good for motivating you, mm-hmm. but can burn you out a little bit. Right. And I feel like if on the subject had changed that I'm on the beginning of a possibly new hobby project new hobby project new era where i can take smaller projects and do mm. smaller things maybe getting ahead of things uh, a little bit we still got some news at the top of the pod absolutely it's not a massively newsy month i would say not compared to the the mad summer rush that we've had yeah we say this now as inevitably as we're recording this <laughs> yes. something's being announced but nonetheless so um it is essenspiel at the moment which is mm. um a games festival in germany and it, GW have announced there that uh, Necromunda, the new version of Necromunda, the skirmish undercity gang warfare game that people is extremely fondly remembered, mm. uh, which was, I think, the inspiration for Mordheim, which you and I both loved. Yeah. Um, to the extent that Necromunda is like dead world and Mordheim is like dead town. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, is out on in the middle of November, which is pretty exciting. And it seems like an interesting box. Like I feel, I don't know about you. I feel relieved to not be bothered about picking up Necromunda straight yeah, away. Definitely. Uh, the set reminds me of the space Hulk set that they yeah. released. It's got a similar kind of embossed card sort of playing surface uh, going on, which they've also used for silver tower, but it's got a kind of that, that 40 K under high vibe to it. Yeah, two war bands, and I think you get some doors and other bits of scenery that mm. you, know, you can use to construct. Apparently, the rule set will let you play on a flat plane, just like a board game. But if you want to kind of get into the whole hive city, multiple layers of environment with loads of scenery, then apparently you could do that as well. Yeah, and that's that's a that's an expansion. So that's an expansion that's right. coming out with it, which uh-huh. I think is called Gang War, which allows which provides rules for playing on three D terrain and also campaign rules for kind of. Mm. Uh, for both character progression, the Shadow War style of thing, like yeah. to reiterate, like Shadow War, which is skirmish Warhammer forty thousand, everyone thought was the new Necromunda until mm. Necromunda also came back. Yeah, um, I suppose so. The other, I mean, so they've they've confirmed that the other gangs that people like will come for the game, and this is it's nice because it is all new 
models like the gang sculpts are really nice the escher models are really cool yeah they've um they've really gone in for the whole 80s aesthetic with just big hair and you know short colorful jackets and that kind of thing mm. but also you still got that uh kind of cyberpunk look to it as well so yeah so yeah i think they've done a good job with models yes um like i should stress that i am not i'm not not bothered because it's no of no interest to me whatsoever it's just it fits comfortably outside of my yeah like hobby window in terms of what i want to do and what i want to achieve and what i can realistically see myself playing because i mean for one thing i've got a fully painted shadow war holoquins gang that i've oh, yeah. never used yeah so i'd like to do that at yeah, some no, point and, and find someone to play that with so that's you know that has scratched that itch for me i think in fact i think if, if shadow war hadn't come out mm. i might have been more mm. excited for this but it does feel like they've sort of cannibalized each other a little bit those yeah. two those two releases um yeah likewise i can't f- quite get hugely excited about it because i don't have the emotional connection to necromunda as a, a core game and it sounds like they've changed the rules so i don't know if, mm. if, it, if it'll satisfy people if exactly this product was coming out well not exactly but if, if this was coming out and it was more time yeah i would be oh, excited yeah, i'd be really excited um and i think you're right that that comes down to having that personal connection with mm. it because i think necromunda is slightly before our time a little bit yes. as hobby people mm. as well, hobby teens because it's an early 90s thing, I believe. Right, yeah. Um, whereas Mordheim was 98 or 99, like it was right when I was getting into Warhammer. Yeah, same. So I can, yeah, like, but I can totally see where people are excited. And it's nice to have loads more uh, female miniatures oh, yeah. arriving in a big all at once. Because those, um, because not only are the models really cool, but they provide con- bits for conversions that will then help people make female warriors for their own other factions yeah. because the more pieces like that come along the easier that becomes mm. so that's just a broad good i think yeah that's cool um so the other thing that i thought might be worth uh mentioning as news is that it seems like on the warhammer community site they've now confirmed that the next two shades by gangs will be in 2018 mm. Which I was, I thought they might be a bit sooner than that. I thought they might be somewhere around Christmas. Yeah. But it might be that their Games Workshop is gearing up to like the Christmas release schedule now where we're getting those big box sets and things that came along last year. Yeah. And I wonder if we're going to get an, another AOS release before the year is out. It, it kind of feels like AOS has gone so quiet for. for yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so either, actually. Um, maybe, maybe something like a Nurgle Battle Tome with no new models. Mm. That, that would be, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Or no new models yeah. beyond what has already come out in Blight War and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, it seems like the Heralds of Nagash stuff will be the next sort of big wave of AOS stuff, mm. uh, which will be next year. Uh, but it's cool. Uh, I think, we, like as we'll talk about later, we've kind of come to the end of our first sort of campaign. It's yes, kind of sort of a big battle ro- battle report for you this this month. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to using that uh, to pivot onto a, into a slightly different army with what I've got and what I want to paint. Yes, on. same. So I, I, I'm relishing using the Christmas period to get some new models and sort of re-angle my army so that we're playing with new miniatures uh, as soon as possible. Yeah, my playstyle's going to change quite dramatically. Mm. Um, not, I mean, there will be magic nonsense, but yeah, we can get onto our plans, I guess, a bit later yeah. on. But like, yeah, so I'm not too bothered about it not being mega-packed. Also, because it makes me feel less guilty about things like uh, picking up new Shades by a warband. Yeah. So obviously, we uh, if you haven't listened to it, we did do a, a, an hour-long special on Shades by, which came out last week. Um, both the podcast and the game. And uh, we both really like Shades Bar a lot. I'm really looking forward to playing more of mm. it. So I don't feel I need to dwell on it too much here because we spoke about it a lot. But um, one thing that we didn't mention, because it wasn't revealed yet last week um, or whenever that was, last week? Mm. That was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, was that um, when we said that we thought the Shades Bar expansions would be between 15 and 20 pounds, the 17 pound 50. <laughs> there you go. So we nailed that one. Bang on. Um, That's a great price, by the way. It really is, yeah. yeah. It's actually not that much more, uh, it's not that much cheaper 
not much more expensive, sorry, than a uh, large small ship in X-Wing. That's a strange thing to say on a ship X-Wing. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, like X-Wing expansions run for like one small ship is 12 quid and that goes up to about 15, 16 quid mm. and then up to like 30 quid for the big expansions. So seventeen fifty for an entire faction yeah. is pretty rad, actually. It's really good. I mean, you could buy like five Spite Revenants for 22 pounds if you're yeah. collecting an army. Um, With this, you get like if you're getting the undead box you're getting a bunch of models and a load of cards and the cards a lot of those cards transfer uh there they, they go pan deck so yeah like I, i'm not sure I'm, I'm playing enough to justify buying every expansion as it comes out for yeah. the cards however that doesn't feel totally intimidating in a way that i thought it might mm. particularly if we're talking about two two factions every couple of months yeah it's not actually that bad for sure. um but i might pick up the orcs mm, next cool. week because i know you're picking up the skeletons yeah i figure if, if i get the other one because I, I i think i'd like I like the look of how they play. Hmm. And so I think that might fit nicely in. And then also actually I've always wanted to paint some iron jaws, yeah. but I have no reason to do that great opportunity at all, yeah. which is actually a great thing about Shadespire. Yeah, sure. Uh, not to bang on about great things about Shadespire, but um, getting these little kind of like sort of single serving, but useful uh, painting things is actually mm. pretty cool yeah like um i'm not capable of only buying one model from a faction just because i want to paint that model i kind of have to plan around yeah. something with sure. it you know what i mean it's gotta have a purpose yeah um which is silly but it's i think i don't think i'm alone in that i know what you mean yeah definitely. Um, i'm like that and so that's yeah that's uh genuinely pretty cool so um just that's a cool thing that's happening uh, they, they have sort of shown now that they're selling things like dice and card sleeves mm. which is another way speaking of ways they might be making money from shades by another way that that might turn a profit without impacting the game much yeah which is also pretty cool yes yeah, so it's again they seem like five pounds for some card sleeves six quid for some dice pretty standard pricing for them yeah although i haven't i've seen some pretty um quite kg responses to the gw sleeves right like i sleeved up all my shades by cards now in um fantasy flight sleeves uh, and uh, unfortunately, the two manufacturers are incompatible, so the mm. cards melted. Um, no, they're, they're fine, and they work really well. <laughs> so, um, like, I, yeah, and they, they fit really nicely, whereas apparently the GW ones are really tight. So, okay. I don't know. That's mileage may vary, I guess. Mm. Yeah, And dice are dice. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they have actually also shown that they're going to be doing Fantasy Flight-style uh, tournament kits for stores as a, on a subscription service, huh. which is interesting. Right. So what that means is that your shop, your independent shop, or presumably every official games workshop shop can subscribe to receive prize packs essentially to run monthly and quarterly tournaments. Huh. And so they include things like deck boxes, alternate art versions of cards, and the, the, the ones they've shown are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and things like activation tokens, like acrylic activation tokens. This is completely out of the Fantasy Flight playbook, like 100% um, in terms of just the distribution of stuff. But that's neat because that means that if you do start going to events and things, and mm. I know that like our local games workshop is planning to do this a lot, then, you know, it, it sustains that interest. I know I, I know from my experience how that can really help sustain your interest in something. So yeah, it's cool that they've good. nicked that idea, basically. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. What do you up to, Tom? What is, what's your last month been like? Well, I've not had a chance to paint up a huge amount of stuff, but I've, I've done a lot of gluing and uncoating and, and stuff. And I've uh, started assembling the Sylvaneth that I had in boxes mm. since last Christmas. <laughs> so the, these have been gathering dust on the shelf. Had got some Kernoth Hunters. Um, I've got the rest of my Dryads and I've got my Branch Witch as well, which is a nice little kind of allied Sylvaneth for. Yeah. The, the arrival of the ally system, like halfway through that gap is kind of perfect, found a place for them right uh, yeah absolutely i mean i always uh, i got the models initially just because i love the models and really enjoy painting them uh, and it, it's been so much fun to assemble them uh, because 
you get so many bits in those kits, like loads of just little critters and branches and extra little kind of arms and things. Uh, and especially, so I've been gluing stuff from my dryads onto my Colonel Hunters to make them sort of spikier and they've got like extra arms coming out of them and stuff, which sounds weird. It looks a lot better than I've made it sound. <laughs> uh, but they, they, they're absolutely wonderful kits and the, the it's, quite unusual for me to actually enjoy assembling a kit normally it's just a kind of a chore because you're cleaning up mold lines you know green stuff in gaps it's kind of feels like work doesn't it mm. um yeah, yeah i really want to get to the painting part but uh if you don't do a good job of the assembly and clean up then it can make your models look really bad even if you paint them really well uh so yeah, i've been taking time over that uh, and i'm going to paint them up in a kind of dark red reds and purples um with uh, bright red and yellow leaves to pop uh, and some of them will, will be kind of like bone coloured uh, as well so it's going to be an interesting it's interesting to paint up a force where every individual model can be a different colour mm. and have different patternings so I've been obviously collecting Stormcast incredibly regimented very much you just a martial process you do this you do that you get the gold to this point then you do the blue uh, but for Sylphaneth they're just such wonderful organic figures and they they dry brush incredibly well so you're using a lot more different techniques while you're doing it so you do a bit of HR editing a bit of dry brushing uh, it's just been really really satisfying mm. and they're quick to come together as well you've also got your wanderers done as oh, a yeah. related force which is cool yeah they took ages uh, so um, my friend Chimp kitbashed uh, some wanderers together from various different boxes uh, and they look really really cool and I've gone for a, again like a, a, a black and red colour scheme with like bronze weapons yeah they'll look nice alongside the silver now yeah they should do, they're intended to blend right in uh, they're supposed to <laughs> I guess they do try and blend in <laughs> yeah uh, they uh, so they are in my mind they're like a cult that is they're obsessed with the silver Earth because they're obviously their kind of spiritual uh, kin. kin from ages past so they 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 follow the branch witch and you know the, the silver Earth don't necessarily want them there but the wanderers will turn up and kind of you know follow walk the pathways the tree pathways whatever it is they're weird teleporting stuff mm. uh, they'll, they'll wander their pathways with them um so yeah it's, it's gonna be i don't know if i'll buy more wanderer models um partly because they were incredibly fiddly and small and they took ages just to get up to a really basic standard for some mm. reason because there's so many different layers to them so many different kind of like cloaks over tabards over that's right yeah. tunics and, and yeah. then a, and then a tiny little bit of kind of metal plating on one arm and not yep. nowhere else in the model you know just lots of independent little bits nothing like Seach, but still a bit of a chore uh, in a way. Um, but I'm glad I've got them. And once I've fixed the um, standard bearer that snapped off, I think they're quite f- funny in the game because they 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 suck <laughs> really bad. Uh, there's a sense with their rules that they they really are from the old world, and actually the mortal realms has just become a more dangerous place. I think um, I think there's a there's a place for models like that in terms of just sitting back on objectives. Like we can talk about that kind of idea when we get to a battle report. Yeah, but we did both have units in our armies that suck but who basically stood back and provided some service mm. like even if it's in my case it was just rubbish men that stop you from coming down from space in a certain yeah, area for sure right for sure. that's their only job just uh, just just chat Bodies, really. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, like them and <laughs> they're like griffhounds are better for example <laughs> like the stormcaster dogs are better than uh one yeah. <laughs> they are magic dogs from heaven yeah it's dogs from heaven um but still I, th- I th- also i like the character of having a rubbish unit on the board trying mm. to do things because if they ever do anything that'll be a, well i guess it's moment. i mean this whole thing is is starting to like i mean the, you know today and we are skipping a little bit but like this is the first time i've ever seen you cast a spell in the <laughs> no, game of age of sigma felt so good like you know you you were used to elite units where everything has multiple wounds and everything matters so mm. um having you know that change is really nice i'm i'm gearing the opposite direction i'm looking forward to having stuff with multiple wounds where mm. i have to you know where they can do something rather yeah. than yeah. evaporate 
yeah, be so weirdos. It's interesting how like the game just feels so different just with how we'll have one new unit on the field that isn't from your army. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple of new things today that really helped with that, but we will get to that. Yeah, we should, we yeah. should um, talk about our, our months. Yeah, I, apart from that, I still haven't painted my Star Trek. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be an ongoing theme in these podcasts. Yeah, one day that's going to be the big new unit that shows up, and yeah. then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't I can't mm. wait to paint it actually. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I've had a kind of weird couple of months now. Like, so since the sprint paint I did for Blackout, which mm. I described on the pod, I've actually struggled to get back into painting, not because of uh, enthusiasm necessarily, but because of I had a lot of, like, work trips in a row and a few unrelated kind of things I had to do that just sort of prevented me from, like, relaxing into it. Mm. And also because I knew I was preparing for armies on parade for the Age of Sigma for that was yesterday, the time we're recording this. Um, uh, that was sort of like, if I wasn't doing something that was gearing towards that deadline, even from the point when that was two months away to the point when that was a week away, it didn't feel like a, you know, the right thing to do yeah. necessarily. Um, so one thing that took the pressure off, uh, is that I was originally planning as I've said on this podcast to do a thousand suns board for the 40k armies and parade, which is this week. However, I'm not free on that Saturday anymore. So there's no point putting mm. the effort in. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I like the idea I came up with. So I'm just going to put the time in over the next year and do that next year. Yeah. Nice. You know, those models aren't going anywhere. I'd rather take the time and do it right. So rather than try and bash something out this week and then not even be able to go. Yeah. So, um, my, my hobby month was really dominated by these, these big deadlines, I think for one thing. Which um, creates a positive pressure in terms of you get stuff done. Hmm. But it also, I think it can make things feel not stressful necessarily. I'm trying to think of the right way of framing it, but it makes it feel like um, it's another set of obligations in your life at that point, right? Hmm. Like, And that's the reason you get motivated and you do stuff. But it also means you feel less free to kind of follow a thought or just pick up something that you've been meaning to paint for ages and you haven't got around to and just paint it, yeah. which is, I guess, what you've done which is a really nice feeling as well because you mm. just something's been ticked off the list right yeah, sure um but the other big upheaval which actually this actually happened back in september but i didn't talk about it on the podcast because we were a little bit pressed for time last time but i want to talk about it is the way that my relationship with x-wing has dramatically changed to get off the gw wagon briefly yeah and i know that obviously the majority of people listening to this are here for the hot warhams but it's been quite an interesting experience for me and I think a, a relevant experience because it concerns two things. One is what happens when you've committed so much time and energy and care to building up a collection of things and it's time to start getting rid of it. Mm. Cause that is just, a, you know, we will face that, right? Like we're not going to have all of your Warhams men all your life probably. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that um, I, it's, it, it's interesting to me how communities change because um, so the long story short, and I'm not going to, do the complete blow by blow but long story short um i really loved x-wing for probably the better part of a year and a half where i'd play every week and practice and just buy the new expansions as they came out and buy tickets for the big events without even really thinking about it like mm. i think obviously i think about it but it would be like i would assume i was going to do that i'd be thinking ahead of time to know like am i going to be free when nationals comes around am i going to be free for the european championships this year and just take it really seriously yeah um and that was, um, and then over time, my enthusiasm started to wane. And the reasons for that stem almost entirely from the health of the game competitively. Um, X-Wing has just in the last week had a very dramatic FAQ that will shake things up, 
But the thing that I thought was interesting is actually, I don't think it's enough at this point. Mm. And I've gone from someone who uh, has been, it's been enough to think, oh, the game is just one or two tweaks from being back to where it was to thinking we have a second edition problem here, by which I mean, we need X-Wing second edition. And that's a, and once you've crossed that threshold in your mind, I've found, because I've watched friends do the same thing in the community, you almost, you start to perceive the problems with the game in a different way, where simply nerfing the things that need nerfing and maybe fiddling with some rules will no longer cut it. Um, particularly because, you know, the expansions and the stuff that's coming next and all that stuff will still pull the game in a kind of power creep direction down the road it's already going. Mm. So that was a big set of changes. Um, you know, a uh, long story short, the game has moved away, I think, substantially from its core mechanic, which is like setting these dials and kind of trying to move miniatures in a kind of analog way where you set up int- like you, have, you can be spatially clever in a way that you can't in almost any other miniatures game. Yeah. I think it feels like dogfighting to being a game that's much more substantially about card combinations and upgrades mm. and automatic damage and, and uh, matchups and sort of meta and tech. It doesn't use a card game kind of terminology. It's it's much more of a knowledge heavy game than a skill heavy game right. now. I think hmm. um, the, in that the uh, the skill floor has risen and the skill ceiling is not really moved, and if anything, it's come down slightly, okay. which is kind of interesting. Like some of the highest skill cap are X-wing archetypes, like things like Tie Swarms or Tie Phantoms, which are those cloaked ships. Oh, yeah. That's very invulnerable. Are completely unplayable now, uh, in a competitive way. None of this should change the game for people who want to have a knockabout with friends. That's fine. Mm. But it was, once you've invested to the point, it's really hard to pull back to that. And I, I tried as well. I think I may have spoken about this in the pod, like trying to go to events with a different attitude and just enjoy them. And I did that at nationals and it was okay, mm. but it was a weird experience because, and this is the thing I think I've realized is, um, you can, you can't really put the horse back in the stable with that sort of thing. And as soon as people start to feel pressure to run, you know, strategies that are quite a negative play experience for both players, honestly, because it's just resolving effects until somebody went, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, as soon as the, uh, the interaction becomes so abstract that it's like, I do my game, you do your game, I do my game, you do your game. Um, and that becomes the way to win. It becomes hard to ask people to not do that. And communities really struggle to kind of, you know, to regulate themselves. So what happens is uh, tiers start to form in the community that didn't exist before. The game always had, like, people take competition very seriously and people who don't, or people who take it seriously but also value being original or something like that. And X-Wing was at a wonderful point, particularly when I started playing, where those lines were very blurry. Like, you could come along with something you'd invented yourself and do well, broadly speaking. It's simply not possible now, and that creates divides within the community. It creates people who um, want to win and want to run the best stuff and and have that experience, and it creates and that cre- and those people maybe exist in tension. People who are upset with the state of the game, and the people who do run the meta get defensive about the meta, and the people who don't run the meta be angry about that. And then it's no one's right or wrong, but it's the game itself has created this divide between people. Mm. Um, I think oh, Warhammer has always had this problem traditionally where 40k used to be so kind of janky and so prone to uh you know breaking the game in order to win the game that people would uh house rules things or like you'd have sportsmanship prizes and things like that you know it kind of matured to cope but x-wing hasn't um so it ended up in a position where actually the community got i stopped i stopped enjoying it 
like I stopped in, I stopped feeling like I could talk to anybody about the game and be on the same page mm-hmm. or like trust the person across the table to have the same sort of set of etiquettes that I did, that kind of thing. I had one pretty badly negative experience at European Championships, which was completely unprecedented for me. And it's felt like a downhill slope from there. Mm. And I put all of it at the feet of the design of the game, basically. And more specifically at um, the extremely slow rate with which um, it is updated and with which um, they communicate. And this is super interesting because Fantasy Flight, I think we're ahead of Games Workshop in a lot of ways in terms of creating these competitive communities that were pretty positive at a time when GW was A, uncommunicative, and B, was associated with these pretty hostile, you know, clubs that you wouldn't necessarily be comfortable going to play in. And it's, how is that flipped? Like GW are communicating every single day now on the community site. They FAQ new 40k extremely quickly. Whereas X-Wing is bogged down in FAQs that take six to nine months to arrive, but are extensively playtested in that period by a group of players picked privately under NDA from among the top set of competitive players, which means that that divide in the community only extends because the people, the new FAQ app comes out and everyone's surprised except the people who've been playtesting it for months, which is, you know, and the community's not big enough to have that not have an effect on how it feels i don't know i don't want to dwell too much on what they've got wrong because what i end up doing is selling off a huge chunk of my collection giving a lot of it away and just sort of um downgrading the game in my mind to something i do for fun when it suits me at the right kind of event with friends hmm. which is a positive thing right like to land on something nice i think yeah. that's that's a positive thing and i think that's a healthy thing but i suppose the lesson for me is that community and a good feeling in a community is very very takes a long time to build up and it doesn't take that long it needs to be protected very carefully and it and, and community management as a concept needs to be taken very seriously hmm. and i'm a bit disappointed in that i don't feel like fantasy flight do take it seriously and I, I think they have some weaknesses with the license where having a star wars product means that how they communicate is obviously it's a little bit more difficult when you're working with a licensee and that kind of thing yeah but it's been a huge, it's, it's, it's a huge, I feel a lot safer now with GW stuff, weirdly, even though I would never would have felt that way when I started playing X-Wing because they've made a demonstrable attempt to change the tone of Warhammer, uh, to introduce new games like Shadespire that fill some of those same spaces, but are designed in a way that I hope encourages better interactions between players and that kind of thing. I don't know. It's a, it's a funny, it's a, it's, it has genuinely made me sad. It's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up because, you know, we do this podcast about our experience of miniatures in mm. a given couple of months. And that's a big part of mine was like feeling genuinely like, uh, my three shelves of X-Wing is now two shelves of X-Wing and going down to, which is still a lot of X-Wing, I should stress. But like getting to that, it was like, oh man, like I, you know, did I waste money? Like, you know, mm. you start to open all, unpick some of those kind of like uncomfortable kind of thoughts you sometimes have about your investment in these things. Mm. Was there, a, was there a specific turning point? Or was it the fact? Was it nationals was it, for me? Was the it turning just a bad, point? A bad yeah. Well, I mean, so at that point, I was so tired of waiting for the FAQ right. that um, so nationals. Like, I didn't have a bad time, but I had to do the thing that I think. I think in any event, I think anytime you go to a war games event or even a miniatures event, this could include painting competitions. Any time when you're interacting with other people, you should be your best version of your hobby you i don't want to sound like a self-help book but like it is very easy to put a little bit more effort in that makes everything more pleasant for everybody else and i think everyone puts a little bit of effort into being pleasant and open and 
trying to encourage people, you know what I mean? That kind of yeah. thing. Then everyone has a better time. It's not like one person has to carry the entire event by themselves. It's just if you are engaged and pleasant and interested, then it's nicer. It's just nicer. You, you feel nice when people are interested in what you've got and what you've brought and in the game you're playing with them. Yeah. You know, a lot of negative experiences I think about with wargaming aren't to do with, um, it's not nothing to do with like someone like being an asshole or anything like that. It's due to that the person who's on this phone for the entire game, mm. that kind of thing. Right. You know what I mean? Where you feel like, Oh, I, like I'm spending this time, right? You want yeah, to feel yeah. like you're actually doing something. So, you're not going to become best friends with everybody, but nonetheless. And, um, so I did that, but it felt like at nationals. I was like, I'm putting all this effort into just like having a good time, having a good time. And it was kind of tiring and, I, and I didn't feel like I was getting it back as much. Like I had a couple of games which were genuinely really fun. Yeah. And I'd brought a list that I, I just leaned into like, fuck it. Like I kind of hate the meta. So I'm just going to run three X-Wings themed after the scene in The Force Awakens when the X-Wings come over the water. And I did averagely, like right. middle of the pack, which I'm happy with because like middle of the pack with that is fine. And uh, there was a beautiful moment where because the way the tables work, you go up and down the Swiss based on your performance in games. And so you're surrounded either side of you on the tables by people who have about the same play record as you do. And there was a moment, and it's just mad maths, really, where every single other person who was running three Force Awakens X-Wings, all four of us at the tournament, it was like a 300-person tournament, so four of us had the, basically the same list or variants on it. Hmm. And we all ended up next to each other, but not playing each other. Wow, so, so it was just a row of X-Wings. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and awesome. it was all these people that we'd all came to the tournament with the same sensibility, which was nice. But it means that finding the people that you have a kinship with feels like finding islands of relatability hmm. in a sea of the same same old same old i had a game against a guy who's uh like uh i think a relatively prominent uk x-wing player nice dude uh used to be kind of famed for running tie swarms which aren't competitively viable anymore he was running something he was running something where like whatever i did didn't really i couldn't really matter there was no interplay between our lists really i was just i did my thing and then he did whatever he needed to do to counter it and we just resolved those dice rolls until the game ended and um and he sort of looked up from his game, but halfway through said, man, I wish I was playing this with my TIE fighters. Like, I wish we could have a game where I was running my TIEs and you were running this because that'd be really fun. And yeah. this isn't fun. <laughs> but I feel like I have to do this because this is how I potentially win. Mm. And that's, that's the point, like, where you have to make a decision about what's this worth to you, right? The experience or the potential of a trophy. And like, even if watching the live stream of the final of the X-Wing National, the UK Nationals, it's kind of depressing because it's two lists that aren't really fun to watch. And two people who don't seem to be having fun, kind of. Going and then, through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions. And it's like, this is not the game I loved. And I think that's a shame, but it's, it, uh, and afterwards I just thought about it and I realized, hang on, if I feel this way, I can moan about it. And I appreciate that you've had, you know, 10 minutes of me moaning about it now. So I'm going to bring that to a close. I can kind of, you know, I can leave angry posts on Reddit, not angry, but like I can, I can write endless blog posts about what I think needs to change. Or I can move on a bit. Mm. And that's actually kind of a relief. It's sad, but it is also a relief when you kind of unburden yourself of what feels like, feel like an obligation. Yeah. Do you think it's just inevitable that all games go this way with enough time, given the, the requirement to expand relentlessly for, to make money? Um, I think, so I think all games have this problem in some cases, like power creep is a thing. Mm. Um, and so on i think i think there are ways the games can be structured that guard against it 
like that's when we were talking about in the Shades by podcast, like whether or not those expansions will start to feel like a negative experience where you feel like you have to buy the expansions to get the right cards right. to play competitively. At the moment, it doesn't seem to be the case. And there are various systems that we talk about in the Shades by podcast about how Shades by potentially has built in protections against some of these issues in both in terms of how it's structured as a game, but also as it's structured as a business. X-Wing is in a weird place where, um, you know, some of its things like having printed cards for every rule, like things like ship cards and upgrade cards is great from a readability point of view, mm. but it means that when one of those things is busted and needs to be altered by the designer, it's not a case of issuing a new codex or something like that with Warhammer where that's much easier. It's a pretty big change and, and fantasy flight have felt out over the years, how much they feel they can change about a card once it's printed. And it used to be very, very little. And now it's a lot because it needs to be, right. but it feels like the, the physical structure of the game fights balance. And then there's problems like licensee, which I think exacerbate things for X-Wing. And then there's, you know, there's all this stuff that kind of surrounds it. Um, you know, and this expresses itself in different ways. Like there's a really impressive now fan made, um, X-Wing reboot called X-Wing Supremacy, which is just sort of starting to find an audience. And he's only really reworked the first wave of ships, X-Wings and TIE Fighters and stuff people really love. But it's a really impressive piece of work. It has some of the same thoughts in it that I've had about things that make X-Wing better. And that it feels like the X-Wing 2.0. You know, when I say that, like, I think this is a second edition, probably it looks like X-Wing second edition. It looks like what I would want that to be like. And it's really interesting when that happens because that person has clearly had the existence of it expresses some of the same frustrations that I have and where I've chosen to move away, he's or she's chosen to lean in and fix something, make something, which is also a really good instinct, but I hope it's not doomed. I really hope it's a success and I hope it finds a competitive community. I'd be interested in playing it. I think because this has happened with other games. I believe this happened with blood bowl hmm. where one particular edition wasn't very well liked by the community. So they just made a different one and played that instead. And eventually a lot of those changes made their way back into the game because GW paid, you know, the designers at that point have to sit up and go, if they're ignoring our rules and making their own, then maybe that's the direction the game needs to go in. Right. So there's all there's always hope in this sort of thing. And it's a mature game problem, right? But um I suppose if there's a moral to this, it's like don't take positive communities for granted. Like this stuff has to be protected both from a game design point of view, but also from a community perspective, right? Yeah. Like Bristol X Wing has largely preserved its integrity through this due to a kind of meta averseness and being generally quite uh, good with bringing new players in and kind of encouraging people to do different things and try different rules for tournaments and that kind of thing. So there is, there's always a way, but, um, yeah, it's been a genuine, like sort of low point for hobby for me. And I kind of don't want to just talk about, I don't, I'd like to talk about more positive things now, but I don't want to always want to be talking about like what amazing things happened to me at models this month. Cause sometimes things suck a bit and you have to kind of make a decision. Yeah, that is, it is really sad. It's, um, I, I mean, Magic the Gathering reboots, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know what Netrunner, Netrunner does, but Netrunner had a similar problem where people moved away from it as it expanded and expanded. Yeah. Uh, so it's just interesting to see how, I think games just have a shelf life, don't they? Uh, and the yeah. idea of a living game, like uh, for a board game where you're constantly adding, pack, I wonder if it's just an, an endemic problem in that type of product that mm. it's always going to go that way eventually. And you, and you almost want to design a game with the reset in mind. Uh, so you want to make the moment of resetting the game again as as painless as possible for people who have paid a lot of money for models and cards and that sort of thing it's, yeah it's tricky i think um to some extent as well it's like there's a really interesting thing here so a really interesting comparison with warhammer particularly recently is and it's sort of mad to me that um you get a lot of a lot of faqs quite quickly for uh 40k particularly new 40k over the last couple of months yeah 
uh, to the point that like GW seemed to be reacting to if something kind of abusive or negative um, emerges through a tournament in terms of strategies and ways to win that seem to be a, a risk to the competitive health of the game. There's precedent this year for them getting like axed the next day, mm. right? Like, and so that means, um, obviously that means that they are chasing the game, right? Like they're chasing the players, but because the investment in a given 40k army is pretty high, um, it means that they over time disincentivize trying to do that mm. because you can go and pay, you know, a bit like the carriage and overdraws thing that happened, right? You can go and pay 250 quid to try and manipulate a particular rule. But now there's no guarantee that they're not going to FAQ that tomorrow. Yeah. So that means that that sort of, there's no sense that like, oh, I'll pay this 250 quid extra for an, for 10, for a 10 man unit that will win me a couple of games. And that'll be good competitively for a year. And that's worth it to me. That doesn't really, that can't, they're, they're training the audience out of that expectation, yeah. I think, by just being really quick to adjust things. But that also is sort of a weird fit for a game where you invest so much in your army. Like you and I were talking about pivoting our armies into a new direction now after a good year of play with yeah. them um and in that time we haven't been able to change a huge amount about what we do even though we both got battle tomes in that time and a new general's handbook and that kind of thing mm. the cause is chorus changed the same with x-wing with my old x-wing collection i could build any list in the game at any time which means that if they faq'd that game every week i'd be fine like maybe my maybe i have to make changes every week but i had everything i needed to adapt Whereas not every few Warhammer players have everything they need yeah, to sure. adapt to every potential change. Mm. And yet one of those games has extremely fast FAQs and one of the extreme games has extremely, extremely slow FAQs, which yeah. really seems like it's the wrong way around to me sometimes, right? Mm. Like Warhammer with six monthly FAQs would be something like it'd be okay, but like at least the X-Wing community could actually adapt and it would, yeah it's a weird one. And I've just knocked my microphone at my elbow. So hopefully that wasn't too just startling. Um, <laughs> I made a gesture of, oh. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's always worth, but I think one thing it's, it's maybe consider as well is that I'd gotten very excited during my, those years of like just automatically getting in on every new thing in X-Wing. And that led to a collection that I honestly wasn't using enough of to justify having anymore. Hmm. And because I wasn't excited about playing the breadth of the game, in a competitive way as I used to, it didn't make sense for me to keep a lot of those models. So I passed them on. And that I think is a healthy thing, actually. Like I think both in terms of being willing to do that when you realize you're not making use of something that you own, but also in terms of now I will be much more cautious in future about over-investing in something that has the danger hmm. for my, as I said in the Chase podcast, for my investment to be devalued by the actions of a developer, which I think is a, a thing. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's difficult. I mean, we cover the world of video games a lot and, uh, you know, even a £100 purchase for a game and a bunch of expansions, a persistent game, like there's yeah. a certain guaranteed amount of money, and, you know, and a guaranteed amount of output. And it's so with wargaming, with miniatures, it's a bottomless <laughs> hole, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it can be. It can be if you if you kind of get really, really into it, which is always always something to step away from, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think there's an enthusiasm that comes with collecting, basically. Yeah, it's like, sure. I'm going to have this collection. And that's a really, it's a positive thing. It can feel really nice. Yeah. But I think... um it's nice to, and I wonder if this was a bit like immersion therapy where I've broken that habit out myself now to some extent. We'll find out, you know, the next thing comes along and whatever, but, you know, maybe I'll be shades by. But yeah, it's been an interesting experience because I think it's been the first, first experience in miniatures since I got back into something that has been such a positive thing to get back into. Like, you know, we talked about this in back in episode one of Miniatures Monthly, right? Like why it was such a kind of 
cool thing for us both to have rediscovered. Yeah. And this is the first time I think I've had to kind of stare down the barrel of what to do when it's bad. Mm. What to do when the plastic men are bad, Tom. <laughs> what to do when it's giving you bad feelings, yeah. right? Rather than, I didn't want to basically, I wanted to talk about it on this podcast, but I don't want to stew on it, stew in it on a kind of month by month basis. Right. right? Sure. I don't want it to hang over me. I just want to make a decision. So that's what I did. Yeah. It's, it's, there's something kind of brutal about X-Wing because it is designed as a one or more competitive game and it doesn't have the hobby aspect mm. that, um, might justify it in other realms if you know what i mean because you're drifting and out of rb thing right you can yeah. you can change the proportions of your investment from like i make dioramas now yeah. to i play games competitively and, and find your place it had less of that i think and that's a shame but hey you know yeah. it's a thing it's done now um kind of want to move like should we talk about warhammer yeah sure. yeah let's talk about some warhammer so um so my big my big thing this month was i was on parade Woo which um so has really dominated my painting so i did some i've only done like a tiny bit of actually like model painting this month and that was mostly like um touching up the pink horrors and screamers and things that i bashed out for uh thingy for blackout yeah and now they've had an extra passive highlights and things and touched up the bases slightly so i don't think when we played with them today you couldn't tell which ones were no no not the so. slightly rushed ones right so no. like yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm removing them from the board by the fistful most <laughs> of the time, so you'd never tell. But like, um, <clears throat> so they just needed some a little bit of love, and like, because both my Lord of Change and various other models have been uh, made worse for wear by tra- tra- travel, I just had to do some kind of little bit of work on them. But the bigger part of the month was uh, putting together my board for Armies on Parade, which I put some pictures of in the show notes, and maybe if you follow us on Twitter, you've already seen it. Um, but this was kind of interesting because I did, uh, my, my, the present I bought myself after blackout was a skull keep, which is a little two part chaos tower. Yeah. It's quite, it's huge. It's pretty big. It's yeah. pretty big. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it in terms of Armies on Parade board for a while, but then I saw that they were selling individual realm of battle boards, which are the games workshop plastic scenery tiles, uh, incompatible with my own third party scenery board. Well, found that you can put them next to each other. Yeah, it's, it's mostly fine. fine. Um, but, um, they were selling them individually and this kind of solved the problem instantly. Back when I thought I was going to do a, uh, like pretty intensely scratch built thousand suns diorama. Um, I figured the AOS one would be all about scale. It would be about having a lot of models on a board and, and it was in the end, but I bought a board that has basically a big space clock burking, bursting out of the ground on it. Cause yeah. it felt right. It's really cool. It is really cool. I really like it. Um, so I guess this will be mostly like a, what I've been painting thing, but, I've sort of learned a bunch of things because I've had a really weird painting month in that basically I haven't watered down a paint in about a month. <laughs> I I have painted more on the floor as in like with the panel on the floor because it's a two foot by two foot board so it doesn't fit on a table. Yeah. Like lying on the floor, like painting it like a decorator. <laughs> um, and I've done most of my painting with like massive brushes and dry brushes and it's been very un-Warhammer painting, right? Mm. Like I haven't done the kind of gingerly holding up a 28 mil model and kind of slowly rotating them and kind of, you yeah. know, I've done a lot of um painting and decorating basically. But um there's a few things that have sort of stood out to me about that experience. One is that anything flat is really fast to paint, like really quick, <laughs> like blocking out colors on that board took like an hour. Whereas uh, anything vertical, like tower, yeah, takes a million fucking years. <laughs> it's um, it's quite funny because I, I was talking about scenery as a holiday uh, on the podcast like a few months back, yeah, yeah. And then you got some scenery, and it's like 
the most complicated piece of sailing <laughs> they do. It's like a nightmare to actually. There's a lot of skulls on that. A tower. lot of skulls, a lot of metal bits, a lot of kind of stuff. Yeah, like. I think I've learned something. So like the um those towers have like intense metal kind of crenellations and I probably use that word wrong and someone will tell me, but like um, you know, and, and little spikes and spires and mm. and like you know, brass skulls that have iron band, band, like bindings on them. And I've seen, like, I always Google image search, like this particular piece just to see what people have done with it. Sometimes you take ideas and sometimes it's just to sort of see. Mm. And I've seen people who've obviously sprayed it like a bone color, washed it and dry brushed it. And it's actually fine. <laughs> and the entire thing is stone. Right. And it looks wrong on, on close inspection because you can see things that are clearly supposed to be rivets that don't make sense if they're made of yeah. stone or whatever. And, I'm not okay. Like I didn't, it was also for a display board. So I w- wanted to do it like quote unquote, right. Yeah. But I think the mistake I made is I sprayed it black and then did all the stonework because that's all, like embedded. So I could kind of dry brush past, you know, without like a dry brush freely without, uh, getting stuff on what would be metal yep. later on. And then I did the job of painting in all of the metal and I'll take some photos so people can see this, but like that took a surprisingly long time. Even if you look at the model, you don't realize how much metal there is. And how wrong it would look if any of it wasn't right. Right. Um, and then, so there's all the metal of two different kinds of metal and then all of the bone and then, and that take two, takes two layers because it's a lighter color of a black and then, and so on and so on. So it took a long, a long, long time. And then it was sort of factoring in things like you wash the hell out of stuff, right? You just obliterate it with washes because it's a big model and you want the, I want, I think I want sharp contrast. I'm not painting it to look realistic. I'm painting it to look like a dramatic yeah. high fantasy. It's covered in fuck. It's, oh, there's no, there's no painting that like in a kind of realist no. sort of like, I want this to feel like a grounded skull keep where people <laughs> actually live. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what you mean. Um, like I want it to be, you know, almost all the way to He-Man kind of, cause it is 90% of the way to He-Man yeah. anyway. And, um, you wash the shit out of it and then you got to be prepared. That's going to like take two hours to dry properly to, you know, to let it dry properly. So there's loads and loads of like got through a lot of podcasts. It was quite intense kind of. Yeah. And cause it's very samey as well. So that's, I had this idea of, uh, I, I built this kit in a modular way. So the pieces come apart and I can rearrange it and it'll be compatible with other parts of the same kind of chaos dread hold set. But I don't, know if i will do any more of them simply because <laughs> nightmare hmm. however if i did do it again i think i would spray it metal and then paint the rock in hmm. and accept that i'm going to get some you know blue or whatever the color i'm using for the rock is on metal parts and have to fix them yeah because i still think on balance it might not be quicker but i think it would be less um bad repetitive hmm. you know that feeling of when you're like oh, i'm sick of this yeah right i think you get less of that because you're just splodging in the big <laughs> rock bits rather than like rotating it from every angle so that you make sure there's no angle but you can hold it where suddenly the sides of all of the rivets are black yeah that side of things yeah right? it's, it's, it's it is huge as well like uh probably like foot tall something like that um i, th- I think it's about 14 inches tall okay. maybe a little bit bigger than a foot yeah 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 so you uh, and there's three-sided so, yeah so that, that is a large piece of scenery like most scenery kits you're going to buy are going to be nowhere near that big and have nowhere near that amount of detail on so it was it is kind of a mammoth project so uh, I'm, i think i surpri- i think i did i think i was dumb basically i think uh, i didn't think it was a mammoth project mm-hmm. i was like i'll bash this out like, <laughs> it looks it looks rad though i love it um I'm looking forward to playing around it more in yeah. our future games. Well, I kind of wanted to have it so when we move into Firestorm with the city scenes, oh, yeah, yeah. have something to represent like yeah, a bastion sure. or that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. um, And then I did the board itself. And the nice thing about the board itself is it was actually 
pretty quick. Like, so I've got this big space clock book bursting out the ground mm. and like, you know, it's two feet by two feet of terrain and there are skulls and bits of stonework and stuff like that on it. But actually like that was really fun because, because it was a big flat thing and yeah. it turns out they're really easy because mm. you just get a massive brush and it's fine. Um, but I was pretty pleased with how parts of that came out and I actually finished it in good enough time that I could do some detail stuff that I was pretty pleased with. So there's, um, the inside of the clock, there's like these flat surfaces that you get the impression should be holes because hmm. there's like a really thin cog on like a pure flat surface, which I think you could probably just do as all brushed metal, but it looks better to me if you pick out the cog as like brass or something and then have like, I, I ended up doing star fields like I did in Lord of Changes wings underneath that so that it looked like it had some depth to it, but yeah. like, because this, uh, this big space clock is going to be important to our game later to some extent. But like, I wanted it to feel like this thing was emerging from like the realm of chaos through a crack in reality, not just there's a clock in the ground. <laughs> um, and I suppose, um, if I had, um, any techniques to share from this month that I'm pleased with, and I'll, I'll mention one thing because it came up yesterday on his unprayed. Um, so I ended up doing like a brushed metal effect for the, for the space clock itself. Yeah. Because my, as people know, if they've listened to me bang on about this over the course of the last couple of months, I tend to paint every part of a model. Like if a model has like different surfaces and like, you know, runes etched on a thing as the big clock do, I'll paint, I'll pick them out in a different color so you can see all of them. And that's not always the right choice, I don't think. Some things just look good dry brushed, right? Like one color is all silver and the the runes and things are just picked out by the dry brush. Um. And I did that as like a base coat initially and I realized like, oh shit, this actually looks good. Like this might look worse if I pick out all the runes in gold or I pick them all out in blue or something like that. Yeah. But I didn't want to just not do something time consuming. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so I ended up, um, trying to do the whole thing in this kind of, um, brushed chromatic kind of multi-hued silver that I'm working on because I want to do it for the next batch of models I'm going to do. Mm. And so the way that is done, um, there's a bit of it on my, the model I've done previously, but I've kind of got it down now. So it's a, a lead belcher, basic metal base coat. And this is the key thing. Then that is dry brushed with iron breaker, which is a shade up like straight away. No, no washes or anything, just like a highlight. Mm. And if you're kind of fine, like a fine dry brush, you can create a brushed metal effect because you're brushing metal. Like it, <laughs> that's, it all fits into place. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then. Uh, thin down gullum and blue glaze of the entire thing, which makes it look blue. It looks extremely blue at that point. And then, um, and then, uh, you can take, I took Drucci Violet, uh, Celia Green Shade and a Draken Half Nightshade, which are all different. Draken Half Nightshade, let's less so because it goes muddy looking on top of more blue. Mm. But take those two things and sort of literally just dunk a dry brush in them. And, this, this wouldn't work on a smaller model, but it does on something that big. Like, blob it in a corner where the shadows will recess and then drag it, like, across the surface of things mm. and use a dry, dry brush to, like, swirl it in and wet blend it with other shades. And you have to kind of go a bit mad and approach it like a kind of impressionist painter, just, like, swirls and kind of, like... Because as soon as you, you, have, you create... As soon as you create streaks, it looks bad. Right. But if you can keep blending things and kind of get it into the shadows and sometimes just pull some of the moisture out with a brush, you can end up kind of nicely creating, like lots of different kind of blended shades over the top of the silver. Yeah. At which point it still looks a little bit messy, but then you go over with like a light silver dry brush, like Stormhost silver or something. 
and that binds everything together, I think, because your eye catches the silveriness first. Mm. And it's quite a subtle effect, but I really liked how it turned out. Because also, because I put like the star field underneath the big clock and there's sort of purple and green ooze all around it. It kind of feels like it's got some of the light of those things kind of pulled into it. Yeah, that's cool. And that's really nice. So yeah, it's my- turned out super, super well. It was like, a, I, I really noticed that effect when I was actually looking at your board. I was like, wow, have, like it, it is noticeable. Like it's worth going yeah. to that effort to get to. Yeah, it wasn't just a stupid thing I did. Like, <laughs> I was talking to, cause the guy was looking at my Lord of Change in, yesterday in the shop and he was like, and we were talking about it. He's like, ah, I'm just taking ages. I was like, yeah, it took three and a half weeks. And he's like, and I said, I just said like, you know, and there's always a point with these models where you're like, you go, am I going to pick out every single gemstone or am I not going to pick out every single gemstone? And he just looked at me like, so you didn't bother, right? And I was like, no, look, <laughs> look in the tiny gems and his wings. Um, and he's like, why did you do that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you can't see them. No. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, you did win. You won I did. Twice. I won best painted at, uh, Armies on Parade and Bath. And so, yeah, it maybe took a little bit. I appreciate I'm banging on a lot, but like, the experience of entering that was interesting mm. because, I mean, you came down, Tom, yesterday. Yeah. And it wasn't a massive competition. Um, it's, uh, so 10 people had signed up for Armies on Parade for Age of Sigmar because they split them up into Age of Sigmar and 40k. 10 people had signed up for Age of Sigmar of which, uh, six showed up, which I think is about the, the most likely outcome because there's no entry. You don't pay to enter. So yeah. there's no, nothing binding you to it. So that's not unforeseeable. And so while I'm, um, it's actually like, initially I was like sort of obviously happy to have won, but it wasn't like, it was like, you know, I was like, oh, that's nice. But like, actually it sort of stuck with me. It's like, oh, that is nice. Like it is nice to, to go and have people enjoy looking at your thing. And, yeah. to, and to, for people who aren't your friends to say something's nice is, cause it's a public vote mm. is like a cool thing to happen. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there wasn't like loads and loads of competition because it was three entries were under 15s, the young bloods entries. Um, and they were obviously the, the standard was mixed, but like they were, you know, they obviously all kind of represented a lot of enthusiasm. And I think honestly, like courage to go along with your stuff when you're a kid and yeah, put yeah. it out on a table. Like, um, but I didn't feel like I was necessarily competing with them in terms of painting because I mean, literally it's nothing to do with skill. It's everything to do with having being older, having better stuff and more patience, essentially. Mm. Um, but I was, you know, there were the two boards next to me that were also by adults and were all, all really interesting. And that was the thing that made me happy is yeah, there was no cool. like, I mean, you saw them, right? Tom? Yeah. They're, they're an interesting sort of mix of approaches to it. So you, you obviously put a lot of effort into your board, Chris, but, um, the one next to you is they built an entire sort of glade yeah. uh, with high walls and you sort of peered into it and there was like a, a gathering of wanderers who were like riding stags and stuff. And it, it looked like a kind of meat, uh, kind of a, a gathering of of like a tribe and mm. there's a, a beautiful waterfall effect like a whirlpool that was like so as though it's frozen in time like really really nicely nicely done kind of scenery the terrain side yeah, of things yeah. um which i wasn't expecting to see as much train out of those those mm. entries I, I thought i was expecting more just here's a flat board with my army on it <laughs> yeah which is kind of what i did really. like, <laughs> yeah. i had ter- enough train to offset the army but like but yeah, like, I mean, I had almost 80 models on the board. Right. And I think I had the highest model count by like almost a factor of three, mm, like, yeah, compared to the board there. And I think that's, I mean, it was just different attitudes to armies on parade, right? Like yeah. mine was my army and here's a surface that they are on that looks half nice. Yeah. Whereas the others were like dioramas, like full scenery building challenges, which was super cool to see. Yeah. And they all told stories. Um, the third one was uh, a nice scene based on Game of Thrones where there's an enormous wall that is kind of caved in and there were undead riders coming through it and a zombie dragon kind of on top which anyone who's seen game of thrones uh in recent seasons will recognize immediately and it's kind of taking that 
that Game of Thrones approach to uh, Nagashi's forces to death. And there weren't wasn't a huge number of models there, but it was like a it was an impressive build. As yeah. kind of, it was, it was an impressive scale and really told a story, and uh, you just got that story immediately as soon as you looked at it. I think one thing I thought was really interesting is like so um i not to t- treat this as a kind of way of typing messages into discord vicariously but like i know that um drew from our uh, miniatures discord was talking about the kind of the experience of going to an event like this and having your expectations of where your own paint level is at changed because you see people submitting their best work and you know you're better or you know you're worse or mm. whatever it is you you, you know it's easy to surround yourself with people who have a similar sensibility to you and, and only to, you know only um compare yourself but actually i think the thing that i realized is that you could probably come up with any number of technical objections to the quality of paintwork or anything on on, on different diorama including mine but what actually matters is the effect mm. of the whole it's a much more holistic thing and uh, well two things matter more one is that actually most people are trying and and showing up with a board and showing up with something you've invested time in even if even if like one of the under 15 entries um had built something that looked like a school art project, you know, and, and the others had approached it more like using kind of GW kind of house style. And a kid had sprayed his board like bright green so much that it really helped me because it kind of like bathed mine in like reflected green light, which is perfect for me. Yeah. And painted a, a kind of lava flow on it, uh, using like poster paints, I think. And he had, um, like pipe cleaners that he twisted around themselves to try and create a lightning bolt. And it didn't look like a lightning bolt. It looked like a big pile of pipe cleaners, but that takes imagination and time and effort. And he's under, like, he's a kid. Like you, you don't, you don't be a dick about it. Right. Mm. Like you don't, you don't try and discourage someone when they've made that much effort already to take part. They can only get better from where they are. Like they, and they've done much more than the vast majority of other people because they've shown up. Mm. And that, that is always, I think worth celebrating and respecting and awarding. And what was nice about all the other boards is that like, um, they all had a, a, a big effect on people. And I was watching people walk around the shop because people go around and there are lots of different categories and they vote for different things in different categories. And one thing that I thought was super interesting and maybe segue into a, a different chat about AOS more broadly, but like um, mine was like the only quote unquote AOS AOS board, I yeah. think like, um, so I had my kind of realm of metal space clock rising out of the ground, skull tower, huge Lord of change surrounded by a sea of pink horrors and all this other stuff. Guy next to me had built a woodland elf glade that could have been from Tolkien. It mm. could have been from old world Warhammer. It was much more sort of, um, traditional fantasy, uh, which is, you know, the hobby supports that as well. It's good, but it's, it was tonally very different to mine. And the guy next to that had done a diorama based on, well, guy and girl next to that had built it with his fiance, um, had done something out of Game of Thrones, basically. And you'd see people walk around and go like, oh, that was Game of Thrones. And they get really excited about that one. And basically not, you know, and then a lot of people had no idea what any model on my board was <laughs> right. like at all. Like people had never seen a Lord of Change before. Mm. Like a guy just came up to me and went like, is that your great unclean one? And I was like, <laughs> what? No. And he's like, oh, oh. And he went around looking for the person with the, the great unclean one. And then he was like, are you sure it's not yours? Cause they say it's yours. I was like, you mean Lord of Change? He's like, yeah. So you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sort of. Again, it's that thing of assuming everyone else sees things like you do and then realizing, oh, hang on, there's loads of different, mm, people have loads of different interpretations of this. They have loads of different experiences of it. So it was really nice to see like people don't really give a shit about the quality of my blending or line edge highlighting or freehand or anything really. Mm. Like when they notice it, they think, oh, that's cool. But it doesn't mean as much to people as the overall effect of the thing when they look at it. Mm. 
and the composition of it. And so in some cases, like, you know, I was obviously delighted to win Best Painted. And I, and hopefully that was, you know, deserved maybe. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'd, I'd lucked out or anything, but, um, I was also really happy that like every single board won something. Like the kid with the pipe cleaners won first army. He was the only person who was eligible for that award, but he got something. And that's actually kind of yeah. nice that that's the case. Um, you know, uh, young bloods went to the kid who most desperately wanted to win young bloods was basically walking in laps around the shop all day talking about how much he wanted to win that. <laughs> um, and then best monster, which is something that I might be in the running for, but I didn't get, which I was pleased because it went to a kid who had a board that was quite simple in a lot of ways, but he had a really nicely painted, uh, idol of gork, which is like a rock monster. That more importantly, like it's a big pile of rocks. It's not like the most complicated model in the world, but more importantly, it was really nicely framed by his board. Mm. And so it just looked good. looked right. Um, best scenery went to the guy with the elf waterfall, which Makes again, sense. deserved. Yeah. And best theme went to the Game of Thrones guy. Yeah. Everyone fucking likes Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that was really nice because, and it, that was just how the public vote fell. That wasn't, you know, rigging by Games Workshop to make sure everyone gets a prize. No. That was just, you know, a nice feeling. It was like, oh, huh. Like everyone had a nice time. Yeah. Here and, and appreciated different kinds of skill, which I think is something that very paint minded people can forget sometimes mm-hmm. that there's, there's a world beyond technique and it's called whether people like it or not. <laughs> and it actually often has nothing to do with technique. Mm. It was, uh, it was a nice positive atmosphere in there. I, I like, I like them running events that are hobby focused and not like Warhammer is so many different things, different people. And I like it when Ghost Workshop put out these events as like lightning rods for different types of uh, engagement with AOS. So, yeah. you know, um, they're running tournaments and that's, that's awesome. But I love that they're also doing these hobby things like armies on parade. And it gives you something to shoot for even a year out, as you were saying, because you're little, you know, you want to start a, a new little project and you've got no kind of place to fit it in. Maybe it's not going to be a big enough army to play with um, in the long term, but you think, oh, maybe I'll do armies on parade board and come up with a theme and work on it for like six months. Uh, that's a, it's a good incentive for new hobby projects it is and it was nice to see because a lot of people were just in the shop to pick up the eldar codex that came out that oh, day yeah, but they'd have a look you know they'd yeah, kind of yeah. like have a peek and go oh, that's cool yeah. you know what i mean and sometimes they think mm-hmm. and it's fine mm-hmm. but like yeah it was a genuinely nice thing and it, and it felt like because it's partly the relief of that project being done and partly the relief of um winning something honestly like it's just nice to have a little badge now yeah says so like a little gold badge to, to and I, I hung my little laminated plaque up above my painting station yeah that's cool yeah yeah that's a nice thing yeah um i suppose the only other uh hobby thing i've done this month um unless you've got something you wanted to 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 spring off of no i don't think i have much else i've just been slowly assembling silverneth <laughs> that's all i've been doing really um is i've read a book and a half mm. but it, it's been an interesting one from an AOS point of view because i read city of secrets and I've read, uh, and I'm going to get my authors mixed up, so I'm not going to try, but I'll put some links in the show notes. Mm. Um, and I've read, I think the first, uh, I don't know, a chunk of Spear of Shadows. And these are both interesting books because, um, I think it springs out of people's understanding of the AOS setting changing, but they're both, um, set in, they're both obviously books that have been written after the feedback, I think, to the initial wave of AOS fiction. They're both attempts to ground it a little bit more without losing what makes it a high fantasy setting rather than a low fantasy setting. But whereas a lot of the early AOS books are like the Stormcaster here and they're here to fight this greater demon and they'll do this for a while. With some exceptions, these are both books that are like mysteries and they have a lot of human characters, a lot of free guild, a lot of sort of Dwarden and elves and mm. that kind of thing. Um, of the two, I really like Spear of Shadows quite a lot more. Um, 
and it's actually for kind of interesting reasons. So there's some, um, one of the reasons I want to bring it up is there's some actually kind of cool story stuff here, like fiction stuff that kind of hints at where the game might be going. So, um, both of them sort of revolve around a city that has been founded after the Realm Gate Wars. So after the stuff that we've been kind of playing through and all that stuff, like 300 years later, there are now cities in the, in the realms. And this is a city in the realm of beasts called Excelsis. Mm. Um, and one thing I like about it is the realm of beastsness of it is not that, uh, is actually quite subtle. It's like they use a lot of bone in construction and it's because there are dead leviathans everywhere. Mm. And there's a sort of ferocity to the people that are from there or kind of viv- like vivaciousness almost. Um, but actually the city is um in a bay next to a giant shard of the old world that kind of accidentally like leaks prophecies. Well. So a lot of the um the currency of the city is are these little crystal vials with kind of like liquid prophecy in them. And so you either exchange them or you pop the cork and sniff them. And sometimes that's really bad because you'll find something out about the future. Mm. And so it, it's a kind of, it doesn't go huge places in a lot of the books. It's, it's, it's the sort of spur to action in one of them, but it's a nice kind of example of like how they're, what they're doing with AOS to have like a fantasy setting that has cities and people in it, but nothing works exactly like you'd expect it to work. It's not yeah. a clear kind of cut thing. They're also really happy to mingle really, I think quite substantially move on from old, I Tolkien derived ideas about what are dwarves like? What are elves like? And so on. Like they still have those qualities like dwarves, like cave, like living underground and smiths and things, but they intermingle with humans in like, and elves intermingle with humans and it's one society really. And you might be, you know, the, one of the main characters in Spirit Shadows is a human gunmaster with the Iron World arsenal, which is kind of like the dwarf siege engine kind of people, but he's yeah. grown up doing that. But he's from Azir originally and came oh, through a realm to live in Excelsis. Yeah, yeah. And they've introduced ideas like there is some prejudice between people who are, who moved back into the mortal realms, but whose like lineage comes from Azir as in Sigmar's realm and people who are, I think they're called reclaimed, who are people who live in the same societies and hold the same jobs, but their ancestry goes back to the tribes that survived the age of chaos. Mm. And there's basically like a stigma associated with being from the realms rather than from Azir because the people who are from Azir are pure. Interesting. Which is, it's, it's AOS starting to get some of the little bits of, um, kind of gritty kind of stuff you can kind of build stories out of that 40k has. Um, so there's some really, and there's, there's quite a lot of cool little kind of world building touches like that that I I liked in in both books. But I think if you're going to read one of the two of them, read Spear of Shadows because it's about, um, it's about, Basically, every realm has a corn, like metal smith, who at one point made a weapon. So eight weapons total, the number of corn. And then the first one is the Spear of Shadows, which was made in Olgo, I think, the Realm of Shadow, as you'd expect. Yeah. And um, someone's trying to find them all to do something bad. And it ties into a few bigger themes. So one of the themes suggests someone has a vision near the start of Nurgle dying. Wow. Um, and Zinch rising mm. to fill Nurgle's place, which might not happen, but like, it feels like a hook. They're kind of teasing, like interesting. visions are often wrong. Um, and Zinch likes to give people visions where Zinch is doing well. So like, <laughs> um, but like is it fake news <laughs> basically. Yeah. But no, so there's, there's one thing they're teasing is that like the great game between the chaos gods is going to hit a kind of 
Corn and Zinch versus everybody else so that Corn and Zinch can then settle it between themselves mm. kind of thing, which would be an interesting kind of direction for things to go in. Yeah. There's some really nice little details in it, like um, different realms having different languages, which is something that kind of, and dialects and kind of things like that. So people from um, Shaman speak shamanic and it um, that's the thing. Mm. And like the way Corn appears in different realms being different. And so they started to like seed some kind of grit into it. Mm. Uh, the dwarf smith god Grongni, who's the kind of god of the Caradron overlords and a few other things, is actually in it as a character because right. he's still around. Huh. And he's a god, but he's just doing stuff. And that kind of establishes that I think one of the things I really like about them is they est- it establishes that the AOS setting is a, is a, is a setting that's big enough that mad shit is always happening. Like it describes the experience of ble- being an exalted death bringer. Cause that's just that guy's job. <laughs> like, and he's fighting infinite skeletons basically. And then some vampires, but that's like Tuesday and yeah. it, that's the setting it is. And yeah. I kind of like it. And the more it gets like that, the more kind of fun it is. Um, you know, the very early Spear of Shadows manages to get like almost every Warhammer faction into it, I think, basically mm. really quickly. That's really cool. Um, all alongside each other. Spear of Shadows is much more effective at this. One thing that really struck me about, um, City of Secrets, which is about a Zinchian cult rising up to try and threaten the city and stuff happens. I'm going to minor spoil stuff, but actually I didn't think it worked tremendously well because it really could be a 40k book and it felt a bit like someone trying to write a new kind of AOS novel and reaching for what I feel is very familiar 40k story. So if you swap free guild for Imperial guard, Stormcast for space Marines, Zinch Arcanites for gene titler cults, you can tell that entire story, I think without change. And, um, the order of Azir, which is what the witch hunters from old world Warhammer are now mm. for the inquisition. Every beat of that story still works down to, how are we going to possibly beat this gribbly threat that's taking over our city? We're doomed. The, the venerable guard are doing their best, but we're only human. If only something could fall out of space <laughs> and help right now, that'd be amazing. Um, it, down to that plot beat, it, it still works. Yeah. And the Stormcast are described in a very similar way where it's like, you know, uh, it's like, like the Horace Heresy novels where it's like, you know, I didn't really know what godhood looked like until this big man came along. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound like it helps to give them character. Uh, I, I gather there's like a Veritant in there who's very stern and stuff, but. Yes, he's, there's a very stern Veritant and there's lots of implications that immediately after the city was founded, there were lots of purges right. of chaos cultists and mm. things, which I don't like as much in AOS because it's two space marines. Mm. It's two purge the heretic, you know? Right. Like it's two crossing of the streams. Yeah. I'd rather they do something different. Um, but at the start of Spirit of Shadows is like a sequence where, and it's again a very AOS thing where it's basically a trench war between Skaven and Free Guild. But they've built trenches. So they're actually, and it's because they've got all cannons and Gatling guns and things. Mm. The technology is a little bit more advanced. Trenches make sense, right? Like it's not like yeah. it's going to be an open field medieval battle. Um, and along the trenches, a lot of the Stormcasts are just standing there, like taking fire. <laughs> and the idea that the Stormcasts don't just return to Ozir all the time, and they don't come down from space all the time, and this being a big difference between Stormcast and Space Marines, is that Stormcast almost like a fixture of, fixture of the city. Like they're intimidating, and you don't talk to them, <laughs> but they're just stood there, like a lot of the time. And then when they decide to go kill things, they kill a lot of things. <laughs> Like automata almost. Yeah. Like, but there, but there are people in there and they're kind of real people. Mm. So like the main character has a friendship with one particular female stormcast. Um, but she just basically stands there and he talks at her and then she says like, she just sort of like picks him up and puts him out of the way and then holds a huge shield up and like, you know, some 
uh, you know, skeeve and explosives kind of bounce off it and she just walks off to kill some more things. <laughs> I quite like that idea. Yeah, I like that idea as well. And there's the, um, there's like the Stormcast, uh, uh Lord Salaston is supposed to be a great hero and the stories about him go back hundreds of years because they would with Stormcast. Yeah. But he's a bit of a weirdo now and he's been reforged one too many times mm. and like he's gone a bit wrong like you know he's not he's a bit disappointing to me to him in a way because it's like interesting you're getting the automata version of him yeah because and that lost his marbles that i think is a much more interesting way of thinking about those characters in that setting like your veteran your veteran stormcast are amazing at defending a place but that's probably all they're for <laughs> <laughs> there's something there's something quite pitiable about them i suppose yeah there's um that lady stormcast says like something like you remind me of my grandson and like pushes him out the way and mm. he realizes that like her grandson probably died hundreds of years ago yeah, as well yeah. like you know what i mean like mm. who was she like when darkness. she before she was but you know she was like a tribal elder or something who was plucked out of the realms by sigma mm. but it, it does give it its own flavor so yeah that's, that's really cool I'm, i'll definitely go pick that up i think um, yeah I'd recommend it. Like it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, I don't think anything has gotten to like the kind of point of the Horace Heresy novels in terms of having that, mm. making you feel sad about spacemen. <laughs> but, um, it's, I really, I like it cause it's, it's just a big adventure, but it, it's, it's confident in being mad. It doesn't try and be like, but where do they poop in this setting? Yeah. You know, kind of grounded thing. Like how much venison juice is running down her forearm, George? <laughs> Um, uh, is it is it the start of a new series then? I believe so. Probably right. believe focus on the weapons. Yeah, each a book uh, per weapon. Yeah, and there's definitely a full on like. And here we're founding an adventuring party, but it's neat because when they found the adventuring party, it's like this is a guy from the realm of life, and he's just a human guy, but he, and he's a warrior. But this is how he dresses and that kind of thing. And they, this is a woman from Shimon, mm. and this is how she dresses, and that's kind of you know useful. I think there's loads of like conversion ideas and things like that yeah, cool. coming out of it kind of leads into something i wanted to ask you about which is we've both we're both moving into a new era with our armies and we're both moving out of armies that were very much in that old aos kind of pure pure stormcast coming down during the realm gate wars and pure zinch demons you know pure chaos versus pure order basically to have yeah. more mixed forces to reflect this new age in the game. We're basically are fast forwarding the clock on our armies 300 years. Um, what are your plans? Like what are you going to build that out into? I think it depends on how the Sylvaneth turn out. Uh, I like the idea of having, I'm going to move the Stormcast to a more Vanguard focused mm. uh, because I really, really enjoy using the Vanguard hunters. They're, they're like, if you're looking at the most efficient stuff in the game, it's probably not them, but they are like really exciting mobile unit and very different to the way that a lot of my Stormcast operate in some ways. Um, and they, they're just really, really cool models. So I'm going to paint up the uh, Paladors and the, uh, like, I love my general Tantris and he will kind of be a recurring veteran who will be in some games, mm. but I like the idea of shifting focus onto a new leader with a new story and, uh, Tantris and, um, the Relic Term just being kind of celebrities who will kind of join in and move away if they have their own stories in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in the new, in that new context, uh, the, the Vanguard would be running with, um, my, uh, Sylvaneth, um, Realm of Death Sylvaneth was the original idea. The idea that, um, Alariel's kind of roots run into all the realms and mm. the, that she has a presence everywhere to, to some extent. And it'll be something like the, you know, the, the grove of the blackened roots or something to reflect. Yeah. And, and they're, they're all kind of blood red because they've been feeding on, you know, the, the ash and blood in the realm of death. And that's kind of, they've, they, they've come out as kind of slightly wrong Sylvaneth in a way. Uh, but the, I like the idea of that kind of a darker force 
um, allying with the hunters, the vanguard, who are a little bit more kind of, they're not as goody two shoes as the rest of the Stormcast because they, they too live in the realms and they're kind of rogue. Um, hmm. they're not expected to, uh, be this, the same sort of martial force, force of like centurions and, you know, hierarchies as the rest of Sigma's forces are. They are just kind of like wild roaming set their own mission type of, of, yeah. of, of, of people. So I, I like, I like the idea of an army that has more dark characters in it and, you know, the things they're, they're going to be doing aren't necessarily just going to be kill chaos. They might be after other things. And, you know, uh, I'd also really like to work some more little people into the army mm-hmm. after running with the wondrous today. Even, cause I, I like the idea of making a more narrative army where it doesn't necessarily tie precisely on, onto, into the, ally rules like i think a little bit of flexibility there will let us create kind of very, yeah we've very been cool. pretty we had a good time playing with like no limits on how many heroes you can have and yeah that kind of thing, exactly right? and, and i think whatever fits the story really so if i could work some more like more humans into it just some mm. kind of faces just some more characters more people because I've, I've enjoyed creating these heroes of course the last year but i kind of want more little guys not just the heroes if you know what i mean um, yeah, yeah and I, I wonder if uh, people like the branch witch um she's just a very cool model furious and very angry tree lady angry tree lady uh, but the, she's already like a, a cool and different character and I, I think that 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 will give money force quite a different tone to the current one which is very mm. much the hammers and sigma stompy stompy chaos kill uh <laughs> job done well, well done everyone back to his ear yeah how about you i know you're you're planning a significant shift yeah so um i like so this is spurred by two things one is like our story coming to an end um but also um or like that initial kind of arc, which was revisiting a little bit. Um, uh, but also wanting to bring in other playstyles into my army because I appreciate, I think, so I think we just played a really fun game actually that helped mm. to redeem some of the feeling that like we have, as we said on previous episodes, I have my hero phase and you have your combat, you know what I mean? Like different yeah. phases where we each play our own game. And that's been less the case as your army is more diversified but i also want to diversify as well so as you're adding more like wizards and flimsy things to your army yeah. i want to build a more traditional fighting force in terms of mortal warriors so i'm going to obviously paint up my zangor at long last but i'm going to do my zangor as part of a kind of coherent army with quite a lot of slaves to darkness chaos warriors in it as well hmm. so an army that runs the gamut from very zinchy beastmen birdmen to more traditional like viking inspired chaos warriors alongside one another um they're going to be kind of bound together in that kind of chromatic silver and the idea from a story point of view is that um hundreds of years after my chaos sorcerer lord has vanished um he vanished but he became a lord castellan right that's the story that has happened through play yeah um his artifacts and his impact on this particular region of the realm of metal like i imagine it like a kind of the realm of metal has a lot of like floating islands and things so the idea of a peninsula is kind of a strange one but like i see it as like a uh a part of the realm of metal where there were previously a lot of different kingdoms and a lot of them fell to chaos in different ways and this one particular kingdom out on the kind of extremes was the one that was governed by music which is the one that the idea i brought up before and he's the the chaos sorcerer lord that um you know, played the bad notes and the ninth movement was the 
his ninth movement, basically like his ninth concerto. And it's the one that ended his civilization essentially, but that he ended up as a sort of fixed point within this terrible change. Mm. I originally had the idea that that would create Zangor, but because I didn't paint my Zangor in time, I've decided that actually that was just sort of like a demon thing. Um, he survived millennia potentially, um, relatively unchanging for reasons that I'd kind of be interested in kind of figuring out. Um, enthralled to a lord of change but also kind of like you know sort of an anchor point for the realm of chaos and the realm of each in this particular place located in his tower which is the tower i've just finished painting Mm. well that's kind of what it's intended to represent and um but after you know what happens and what happened in our battle today and so on hundreds of years later the echoes of that event still exist and that um the ruins of that place ruins of the ruins at this point could be like a a place where would be aspirant champions of zinch go hmm. to seek power basically and so i'm going to create this new army called the shimmering legion out of these kind of mixed like maybe a, a band of beastmen is drawn there and becomes angle humans are drawn there you know warriors of sort of unaligned warriors of chaos go there and kind of end up in zinch's service i'm gonna um, i'm working on my first like real scratch built kit bash. I've bought some parts and, um, I'm going to do a fate master on disc, a female fate master, uh, based on a sister of silence. So I went to a bits website and got just a sister of silence body yeah, I wanted. Cool. Um, I'm still working on her arms, play elf arms to make things make sense. Um, and a listener, Chris, uh, from Canada has very kindly, um, uh, mailed me his Neve Black Talon head. Oh, right. So she's going to, I'm going to do some conversion stuff. So it's not just obviously Neve mm. Black Talon, but I've, I know ex- hopefully that'll be something for the next couple of months and that she's going to be the new general basically. Cool. Um, but she's going to have, um, uh, that sorceress staff in one of her hands instead of a glaive because they're supposed to have a glaive of Fate Master, but yeah. I'm going to give her his staff, but with like a more bladed head. Mm. But like the idea is she's picked up his, his mortal or his, you know, demon mortal possessions. And maybe become a new foil for his, mm. um, Castellan form. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so I'm going to do some stuff like that. But the other side to that, that I want to do is from a story point of view is that this legion of warriors recruits from the realm of metal where chaos is ascended, but there are still mortals. You know, there are still people living there and some of them probably escaped other realms, but chaos is still ascended. Sigma doesn't have a presence there officially, but I kind of like the idea that hundreds of years after the Stormcast arrived, most people will kind of have legends about this. Like, metal people came from the sky and saved me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they'll pass sure. into legend. And that basically I kind of like this legion to essentially be bootleg stormcast. <laughs> like that there are kids who grow up desperately wanting to be free from the dangers of living in a realm ruled by chaos. Cause like sometimes realm ruled by chaos means you're being chased by blood letters a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> but I think it can also mean life is just shit in subtle ways, right? Cause yep. you're, cause chaos is ascendant and people are desperate for an escape and they hope for something better. And they have these stories about these kind of glimmering magic warriors. And so they invest a lot in that. And Zinch is a God of hope after all. And maybe that's what inspires them to kind of take up arms with this also a war band of people in glimmering metal. And yeah, that guy's got like three arms and that guy's face is just a single eye and that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and if you look at the metal too long, all you can see are eyes and everyone's covered in feathers, but it's as close as you probably ever get if you are from there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you, and, and I kind of, I, I had this idea for a, a short story, but I might write it, but I'm, I might, I'm working on something else at the moment, which was, 
like the story of someone who's basically convinced they're in the right army until one day, maybe 40 years into their campaigning career with this legion, they actually see Stormcast for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And it's, oh, oh no. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Which is, again, hopefully quite a zinchy sort of mm. thing to have realized, like, oh, bollocks. Yeah. So yeah, that's, 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 that's the, that's the, going to be the theme for the next one. And I think that will also feed into things like Firestorm when we start doing that. Because yeah, yeah. It'll give me an army that's more likely to take territory mm. than just gribble at it and vanish. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a dramatic arc campaign. This particular, um, Stormcast invasion of the realm of, of Metal has had a nice kind of pu- pull and push, uh, to it. Yeah. And it's now come to an end. So we should, we should just do a battle report. Yeah. Which sure, is, yeah. um, and this is like, you know, we played, we played a two and, two and a half, almost two and a half thousand point battle. Mm. Um, and for reasons to explain on a four foot by four foot board with a two foot by two foot board that I painted recently mm-hmm. attached to it. So a sort of four foot by four foot with a pointy end, yeah. which sort of simulates a kind of floating island kind of cliff face kind of thing. So, you know, a narrow mm. passage to a, to a thin end of the board. Um, so yeah, so the campaign so far to sum up after, uh, encountering you know, your general, Tantris, encounter, first encountered Zinch while invading the realm of fire. And that was our first ever game of Airworks. So that's what that intended to be. Yeah. Expecting to find corn, found hot magic death. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, at the very beginning of the Realmgate Wars, the, the Hammers of Sigmar were going into that realm. And, you know, the whole book series is focuses on, um, Vanda's Hammerhand and his lot. Well, Tantris was getting lost in uh, some fog over here and <laughs> accidentally running into Zinch and, uh, that start, kick-started a centuries-long, uh, rivalry between them. Yeah, during the Realmgate Wars, right? Yes, and, that that's was, right, if, yeah. and so, um, and over time that eventually led to sort of this, I guess, quest on the part of your army to find and destroy or, or deactivate or, or kind of, um, banish the source of this particular kind of demonic power like which is kind of represented in my army by the, the green flame but the idea that it was coming from this particular place in the realm of metal where we kind of decided a particular silver tower was parked um which is kind of linked to our silver tower campaign but also to my gaunt summoner who was mm. the first general i had before the lord of change came, showed up yeah uh which is the tower of this particular sorcerer lord so yeah in the previous games the most important things are that you invaded the realm of metal but actually struggled to get a foothold in it mm. you're kind of coming up through the ruins of this ancient arcane civilization get beat back to the beachhead essentially whatever you would call a beachhead the changeling is there helping <laughs> somewhat yeah. um and then you punched through in the end with the help of the celestine prime whose main thing it did wasn't really help much <laughs> <laughs> no but it did end the life of the chaos sorcerer and by end i mean he got whacked <laughs> yeah he, he got, got hit by the warhammer the warhammer yeah and um in that moment we decided that that he was actually dead like uh you know he could return if we go back to this you know era back to when he was still alive if we choose to but at that moment he died and not only did he die uh but galmaraz the warhammer has actually allowed him to be reforged and he came back uh into the same campaign soon after as a lord castellant uh so he swaps his uh orb of chaotic flame for a lantern that now blazes with his ears uh glory and he uses it to sear the demons and reclaim his old territory yeah and he swapped his um his master lord of change who did finally show up in that battle to take this seriously um for a dog (laughs) he's got a dog now he's got a dog now 
Um, and so this sort of basically brings us up to the present. We had, we had the battle that we kind of half played for the last episode, which was another one of those kind of skirmishes, right? Yeah. This kind of tug of war is this kind of you know, this impression of this grueling, basically march demons all of the way mm. deeper and deeper and deeper into this um, kind yes. of uh, massive realm um, with this tower at the end of it. And so we kind of created using the, the clock, which is kind of the apparatus by which this kind of demonic invasion was kind of enabled in the tower at the end of the battlefield that kind of stretched out to your deployment zone um, with the idea that you, you finally reached the end of that journey, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're here to end it. Um, and what, what I was, I was trying to find the right scenario for this. And I ended up um, buying through the app, through the Warhammer app, um, a scenario from one of the Realmgate Wars books, which is actually designed to rep- replicate the battle from the Realmgate Wars where a bunch of Stormcast fight through a Nurgle line to deliver the seed of Alariel to the place where she can be reborn into mm. a battle Alariel who owns a beetle. <laughs> yep. But actually, uh, and it's a really cool scenario. It's actually one of my favorite scenarios we played for Yeah, ages. it's really good. And, um, but it worked perfectly. And actually, I don't regret the three quid it cost because it's like we've got an afternoon's worth of fun after yeah, that. Yeah, sure. The bus ticket is fine. Mm. Um, and, um, and so the way we decided to set it up is rather than, you know, you are delivering, uh, so, you know, rather than your objective is to deliver a particular artifact to a particular place, your objective was to get your Castellant to the tower mm. because he is the only, only person who can, uh, fix this basically. Like only he, it's his tower from his previous life where right? yeah. his soul is bound to it. Yeah. And only by entering it, whatever that means for him, only by entering it can, you know, this end. He can, it's, he's, he's on a mission to cleanse it essentially and, and to, it's his holy mission now, uh, after being turned, uh, by, by Sigma. Uh, and so he, it's his job to very slowly walk across the board and try to get to the other end while the Zinch demon hordes massed against him. Yeah. He meets his old boss in the street and he it's, does, it's yeah. awkward. Um, <laughs> real awkward. But, um, so, uh, and there's actually a bunch of cool rules. So the, the most important one though, because the, obvious problem of probably occurring in the brains of people who've heard our battle reports before is like i do loads of mortal wounds mm. i love the mortal wounds and killing one of your heroes is not a huge problem mm. and so um i win instantly if the castellant dies but you've got a bunch of rules including when the castellant t- so the castellant gets a four up invulnerable save basically against everything regardless of where it comes from mm. also if you choose not to take that invulnerable save any wounds he takes can instead be passed off to any unit within three inches of him. So everything you can surround him with is a huge ablative wound mm. thing. Um, and then there's some other rules we didn't use as much. Those two are the most important ones. And that actually is really cool because it suddenly basically adds a jury rigged version of four, new 40k's character shooting rules to the game. But also it means that I can kind of, uh, the amount of damage I need to do, it's still help for, for, for me to kill your guys but I can't just end the game with it. You know what I mean? Like I have to, it gives you a a way of um, making some choices about mortal wounds in a way that you weren't previously. Mm. And that solves some of the problems we were talking about in previous episodes about how sometimes I just open up the mortal wound cannon and you have, can't do anything about it. Mm. Uh, Yeah. It was also encourages you to set up a very cool looking formation where, uh, the retributors are uh, stretched out in front of him in a massive line. There are liberator units on either side of him. Um, and it's like a, a rock solid core of infantry. Like a, a everyone is there to protect him. And he has this, the whole army is his bodyguard in, in that sense. And it looked really, really cool when we deployed. It really did. And it really, it felt really themey. Mm. Like 
I'm so like I'm used to the retributes bus arriving from space. Like I just yeah. am now, right? Mm. And it's it was nice to have a game where they were kind of they played differently, mm. right? Their job was it was very heroic. Their job was just to walk in front of this guy and take the hits for him and yeah. hopefully hit some things with their hammers. But they were there to to be paladins, I think, rather yeah, than like sure. space assassins. You still had the Fulminators in space and the Vanguard Hunters in in pursuit. In pursuit, called. yeah. But yeah, it was a really interesting thing. And then for one of the, so we started the game itself because it, it was, um, uh, so, and I knew that like I had to shoot you a lot. So my plan wasn't necessarily to charge you. Mm. It was to, uh, I deployed in a kind of wide fan. I was pretty pleased with my deployment. Like my deployment gave myself all the options that I needed. Everyone yeah, was yeah. near where he needed to be. Um, and we had a few interesting dice rolls. We actually had perfect scenery rolls as well, mm. where there was like one sinister ruin, but almost every other ruin was arcane, which is perfect. Yeah. Because of Realm of Zinch. Apart from the Bloodnado, which was deadly. <laughs> because why not? Don't stand in the Bloodnado. It is deadly. Just don't do it. Um, and, um, but regardless of who finished deploying first, you had the choice of who went first, because that was part of the rules of the scenario. Yeah. And you gave me the first turn, which makes sense, right? Mm. Yeah. Oh, there was just, um, given the way my army was set up and the distance between us, there's no way I was actually going to be able to really do any damage or do anything with the first turn. And in that context, it's always worth gambling for the double turn and letting your opponent, you know, come at you. Um, there are a few things that you risk by doing that. Uh, one is that you haven't gotten your command ability off. So your army is vulnerable to battle shock if, if your opponent can do, can, can attack you. And the other thing is like, it gives each the ability to put up the, um, uh, the old, uh, the old vortex, vortex yeah, uh, and do and do a lot of setup stuff that you 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 want to do for your synergies to fire off. But there's there was no way for me to dis- disrupt it really in the first turn because all of my shooting was a little bit out of range. Yeah, and, and you risk some, me getting a two turn. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it would have been that would have been bad. So yeah, you, you, I let you have the have the first turn come charging out of the uh, out of the the fortress. Yeah, um, but I did have a relatively cagey start. It was interesting. Basically, um, I. So the changeling, so uh, also we should stress this wasn't just your army because your army was joined by a band of wanderers and a branch witch. Yes. Um, who I think we thought kind of had emerged from this like new growth, like these new trees have emerged in the area. I think since, since this sorcerer lord was redeemed, some life is returning to this mm. area, like tentatively. And this is allowed like way passages through the realms for these new arrivals. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of a, s- a scouting party that almost gets drawn into this huge conflict because they, they can they can you know sylvanath is sensitive to magic they can feel something happening here and and also the giant gold men you can't miss them so yeah uh, <laughs> we just joined in um so they were there they were there too they were there too definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> <I'd> characterize it. <laughs> um uh so i set up the changeling right at the back i had some choice about like try to do something clever with where the changeling goes i just put him behind you mm. because actually while i haven't used his um, make people go slow power a lot in the past because he's usually an assassin trying to force you to go slowly is perfect because i can just make you walk more slowly into yeah, the fire for basically sure. yeah because yeah. i knew i needed to melt because you had 10 retributors two units of five liberators judicators within rage and lots of other heroes all in position hmm. to shield the castellan which means i kind of there's no point trying to kill a castellan i have to kill your army yeah and then kill him um so like I knew it was going to be a sort of setup-y first turn. So I did, you know, I had, um, Mystic Shield on my Lord of Change. Um, I had, so the Gaunt Summoner went, basically went off because 
um, because there was so much arcane terrain, which gives you plus one to cast, he was stood next to the Lord of Change, next to a piece of arcane terrain, with his book that gives him plus one to cast, and then obviously ended up almost immediately on a Bailwind Vortex. So he was at plus four to cast, I think, <laughs> at that point. Yeah, impressive. Rerolling ones. And so straight out the gate, I managed to kill the Retributor with magic fire from across the board, which is kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. But I like what is about to happen because it tells the fact that like you know that's what he's going to do like the gaunt some of the mystery of the gaunt summoner has been lost in right the, in the in the decades or the year in our case but since those your general and the gaunt summoner first encountered each other and your general just got annihilated <laughs> you've come up with some of your new ideas about how to deal with the whirlwind man who kills you from far away yeah, yeah. um but basically the decisions i made were um like i made so i moved i had some chiracacolites and some zangor like not a lot either like from the silver tower set, basically I moved them back into a defensive position behind my Lord of change on two sides mm. to basically provide it, make it impossible for the Vanguard hunters or the fulminators to come in in ways that would threaten the Lord of change specifically. Yeah. Cause that is a concern. I don't want you getting behind me. Um, but the only thing I did was commit on my right flank. Cause there's the Ogre Thaumaturge who I buffed up to the nines, uh, some pink horrors cast a mutation on him and he grew an extra horn. Um, I sent him and those horrors, one of three units of horrors on my chariot, charging forward on the right flank because I wanted to give you something to fight and bleed you at a distance. I didn't want to just wait for you to walk into me. I knew I'd lose those characters, but I wanted them to do some damage. Um, and also I realized that in a single turn I could get in range to shoot at the heralder with the chariot. So that was a bit of a grudge match. That was like <laughs> no honking in this game, yeah. buddy. But it, uh, the chariot was very cold for a chariot that's on fire. It just went sort of like, at him and nothing nothing much happened and that was basically my um my first turn Mm. i think so you um so my uh castle opens his lantern and he can shine it on his pals to make them happy (laughs) (laughs) uh so he gives the so the retributors have the plus one save um so, so they're like 30 wounds three plus save quite tough um not very good be very hard to take them down with shooting and uh, with combat um so i rolled for movement and the formulators came down immediately yeah they were keen to get involved uh you've done a really good job of screening off the backfield it's interesting how our armies have learned how to counter each other's uh tendencies mm. um so i decided to just counter charge down that flank that you were advancing so i, I put them nine inches away from that flaming chariot and the augury thaumaturge um and then charge my general forward, uh, inspired by the tooting of Mahorn Man, which lets him <laughs> run and charge. Mm. And, uh, the branch witch put a mystic shield on him. First time I've ha- perhaps ever used magic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, so that was just satisfying the sheer novelty of that. So, um, and I pushed my ferritin and, um, my tooting man forwards. Big kind of powerful counterpunch on, on that side of the, mm. of the flank. Uh, and also on the same flank, um, cause you'd moved your, pink horrors forwards uh the vanguard hunters came on in the very back corner of the board yeah, they had a very narrow spot they could fit in yeah, yeah they could just about come on um and they uh basically just came on the board to try and kill your gaunt summoner yeah they kind of emerged uh there'll be a picture of this in the show notes like kind of right underneath him yeah but i kind of like the idea that like i had like in hindsight it was a mistake by me to leave that open mm. i didn't think you'd be able to do much when you were there but they do have a shooting attack so That's they the thing. Yeah. yeah so they but i like the idea that that was your counterplay to the gaunt summoner was mm. to have the vanguard hunters who've been sent with one mission which is to assassinate the whirlwind man right um 
the other thing that was important that happened involving crossbows was lightning chariot on oh, yeah. the long strike crossbows. Yeah, so I've got um, they're my snipers who I've referred to before in the podcast. But um, yeah, the uh, Lord Relictor, I uh, <laughs> cast a lightning chariot that ferried them into a forest slightly further ahead that also put them in range of the Lord of Change, which is was that's that was their entire mission was to stand in that forest sniping the Lord of Change for yeah. as long as possible. And you got a hot. Oh yeah, they're they're. They've got a rule called headshot, where if you get a six to hit, they've only got one attack each, but they hit on two plus, and if you happen to roll a six, that's two mortal wounds, just outright. And you rolled two rolled sixes. Two, two sixes. And so that was just four mortal wounds onto the, onto the. He's got a big change. head. He's got a big head. He's a big fella. He's a big yeah, fella. so he starts immediately taking fire from the scary bush. Yeah, this is a very scary bush. Um, and then the, the relictor very slowly, like panting, runs after them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I also, um, moved up the wanderers, so they, they, they're so much faster than the Stormcast that they just vaulted through my entire army as it was very slowly stomping forwards. I like the idea of, yeah, the kind of like slow moving wall of golden mm. Sigmarite plate with these kind of lithe elf arches kind of like streaming through the Ruffing gaps. Through them, like, that's right. Yeah. And, um, sort of like somersaulting past them and, uh, which is very brave because they, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, they were, they formed a screen of sorts. Um, they've only got, they've only got one good thing and they've got arcane bodkins, uh, <laughs> which is a once per battle ability that, uh, means that their shooting gets red three doesn't even do more damage i don't think uh and also they're on like four plus four plus six. i was when you good. described that i was genuinely afraid mm. that my lord of change was going to die to tiny elves oh, i was hoping there's a, there, I, I fully expected them to get crushed but you know I, I tried yeah i tried the so i did take quite heavy casualties though mm. almost straight away like so your general charged and completely annihilated the chariot yeah. Which is kind of a nice, that was a good intro to the battle for Tantris. Like the mm. chariot comes charging and he just runs into it, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like smacks it. head on. Yeah. Just, just destroys it immediately. Um, also, but in return, because you, you charged, you'd managed like a, like a 10 inch charge or something with the Veritant dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which ended up three inches from the Lord, Lord Thaumaturge mm. and the Thaumaturge just fucking ripped <laughs> that dog in half. Yeah. It was, like, <laughs> it was grim. It was just like, like I lost a chariot and I wouldn't make that trade any day, but like, yeah. you know, Tantris and Elgrothamatos just look at each other across this, like <laughs> the smoking ruins of the chariot and just like, I'm kill this dog then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if the dog really stopped you from doing anything. It's, uh, it was at least an attempt to bind you in combat in some way. Yeah. Um, there was also an extremely weak doot. I don't know if you remember. You tried to do oh, a piece yeah. of terrain, but you only rolled a one for how far it goes. It so literally, it, it just, just wobbled a bit. It just wobbled and <laughs> everyone was fine. But yeah. So, um, so the, the Heralder, Dr. Dutes, um, began this battle maybe feeling a little bit insecure about the strength and volume of his Dutes. <laughs> yeah. It's an important, remember that, yeah, basically. Remember, <laughs> yeah. remember yeah. that. He's, he, he, maybe he's used to being the star of the show a lot of the time. He just needs to warm up. And maybe he was feeling a little bit bad that he wasn't the most important hero on the board because the Castellan is there That's and he's this new guy showing and everyone's him. into him with his lantern. That's true, showing him up. Uh, and he his inspired first, the general though. That was he good. did, but his first thing is like, Meh. and a column yeah. wobbles a bit. Yeah. Lame. Um, so you won the roll off for the second turn. So you got the double turn, which is, that's ideal that's scenario, great. I think, for you. Yeah, off, it's off that start. Yeah, that's, that's really good because it gives my formulators the ability to get into your, uh, Ogroid Thaumaturge straight away. They didn't need to though. Because <laughs> the Thaumaturge was just breathed on to death by all three. Yeah, the Dracoths. All three Dracoths. bathed on him and, uh, <laughs> it was a horrendous death. <laughs> exactly. It's got melted. Uh, the, um, the, those three were a, a amazing all battle. They, in fact, they've been amazing all campaign. They're just uh, yeah, really exciting, dangerous models. Also, your your long strikes managed to do another four wounds to the Lord of Change. Yeah, they uh, they rolled good in this. Uh, like 
eight wounds to the Lord of Change. Like that's worth the points cost as far as I'm concerned for just like unreturned damage just to get you down a couple of rungs. Uh, yeah, it meant that he was two rungs down his damage track where he starts mm. to get weaker before I'd even had a turn where you were in range of anything. Yeah, and, and it gets slower and slower as he takes damage does, as well. Yeah. Uh, the hunters um, tried their best and they so they they ran up to the edge of the vortex and the thing about the vortex is that you you can't go within three inches of it and also they're shooting upwards but they have a nine inch range it's a tiny range uh and they they could just about shoot up into into uh, shoot their crossbow boat, boats yeah boats. crossbow cross, crossboats yeah shoot their like crossbow pistols up at the gaunt summoner i can't remember how much damage i did but i think they did a good round so you so actually we didn't mention in the first turn of shooting at him with um, no, actually, this was the first turn of shooting. Yeah. You didn't do anything. Like, you had a just, really bad roll. Because like, actually, this was right before the long strikes kicked off. Because yeah. you had a really shit roll with the mm. with the things, and you just whiffed everything. But then the long strikes did their 360 no scopes on the, yeah. on, the, on the Lord of Change. Headshots. They got four headshots. <laughs> That's a lot of arrows going into that bird's face. It is. The other thing that um, I think was it was a nice kind of momentum builder was you made an 11 inch charge from the fulminators into my pink horrors mm, oh yeah which yeah. just like crushed them because like we've pretty much determined now that fulminators charging pink horrors basically kills a unit of pink pretty horrors. much deletes them most yeah. of the time yeah. yeah you killed nine of them mm. uh, which is normally the the well so you killed six and then uh two ran away mm. which is unusual for the pink horrors but yeah. it's, it's sometimes battle shock is bad for pink horrors so yeah they 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 did a good job that basically cleared that flank pretty much yeah um, i lost the chariot a whole unit pink i wrote i i took notes because obviously i wouldn't be able to remember the game mm. i at this point lost um all but one of the unit of pink horrors uh the Ogre my chariot my uh lord of change lost more than half its health and the gaunt summoner was in lethal danger that he couldn't get away from and i wrote down I have killed one retributor and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> that that double turn was brutal. That was, was a very hard thing to con- contend with. There's not much you can do about it, unfortunately. No, but um, you know, but it's 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 a possibility when you give me the first turn, mm. basically, and it's why it's the right choice to do that. Yeah. Um. So I had a like uh. So then it was my second turn. I had a kind of I had to play catch up because yeah. like I was suddenly like oh I'm in trouble now. Like, I knew that I can't waste time trying to fight Tantris and the Fulminators, because they'll take a long time to kill. Mm. I can't waste time trying to save the the Gaunt Summoner even, really. I need to start hurting your big block of dudes mm. so that I have a chance. Because if I kill the Castellan, even if it's on Miracle Dice, the game is over. Yeah. So um I started to reform a new approach to the battle pretty much around the Lord of Change and on the, on the opposite flank to the one that you'd been charging down. Mm. So we found this, the battle sort of wheeling around the center of the board. Yeah. Um, and I knew I was just going to try and punch you to death at this point. Cause it's like, this is my best option. Sure. Um, so, but, uh, the changeling revealed itself, tried to cast a spell and failed because he rolled a three basically. Mm. Um, my horrors failed to cast this is this is the time where i had just the kind of like it's time for some oh <laughs> like so um my horrors i think it was like re-rolling i was re-rolling ones into ones and my ability to re-roll ones and it was just like oh <laughs> there's geez. a lot of that yeah um but I, the the lord of change and the flamers were able to kill all the long strikes mm. uh which was a good relief <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I badly needed that um 
and I kind of moved my remaining horrors into a big clump, moved all the screamers forward, um, moved the herald forward. And I think one thing I was really pleased with this game is I got my positioning with the heralds, I think pretty spot on in the yeah. entire game. Yeah, good. So like a lot of my demons benefit from being near those things and they were spread out, but they were kind of still like together so that hmm. units could swap between which herald they wanted to have supporting them. Hmm. Um, it's one of the most coherent fighting force I think I've built on purpose. Yeah, it, look, it looks amazing as well. Like when you see his each army synergized up and, you know, moving together, especially those screamers, they've got such a good sense of motion to them as they kind of streak towards their yeah. targets. And this was the thing, right? Like this was like the fu- literally the fury of a god is descending on this yeah. chaos sorcerer lord who's in the middle of that pack. Mm. Um, and there was also, uh, at this point also, because you've done all your space deployment and off the board deployment, the Kyrak Acolytes and the Zangor could stop moving forward. Yeah. But I was, at that point, my decision was, they're not, they're not good units, um, unsupported in particular because I'm running half strength units for both of them. So, um, the idea with them was, I knew the Gaunt Summoner was going to die eventually, uh, hopefully not this turn, but the idea was that they will, um, create a basically speed bumps between the vanguard hunters in my army and between the fulminate maybe the fulminators and the thing in my army mm. that one pink horror that was still in combat with your fulminators just ran away <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a hilarious postcard for yeah, yeah it just sort of fled into the into the ruins to also also try and block you because if yeah. he's just between two places it gets annoying yeah sure. um it's a good move and um and i i had to make some choices about what i was going to shoot and I, I think I've gotten a bit smarter about like, I, I want to kill your retributors and I can try and do that with loads of mortal wounds, mm. but you've, you're shining the lantern on them. They've got this poster save. It's not really worth me throwing the pink horrors. iffy ranged attack, like the four up, four up, no rend shot. Oh, yeah, at them. Yeah. They'll just soak it up all day. It's worth it in other circumstances, but I think in this one, I need to be smarter about what I shot and your wanderers were kind of in the way. <laughs> so two units, 20 pink horrors just let rip with. Yeah every all this magical fire it's bad news for the wanderers and all of the wanderers well half of them died mm. and half of them ran away half of them went fuck this <laughs> yeah. so those elves that had gone so gracefully gliding through the ranks of the sigmarite forces just turned around and ran back the other way again <laughs> yeah they 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 left and that was it for mortals um <laughs> so uh because um you'd had a double turn that then means I can have a double turn potentially because, um, yeah. And so this was a big turn roll because actually mm. I think I can undo a lot of the damage at this point, um, with my own double turn in mm. terms of just magic output and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And also because you've done a lot of damage to my Lord of Change, I want, I don't want him to get, lose any more health. So we both roll and we both get ones. <laughs> no, you rolled a one. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, and I rolled a one and then we re-rolled and you rolled a five and I rolled a four. <laughs> Remember those numbers because this will get weird. Let's try. <laughs> um, so you got the turn. So it went back to you. Mm. Um, uh, I don't know if this, this is the middle of the game. So if you need me to, to prompt you along with decisions, but this is when you kind of basically like pulled one big force together in the middle and actually started to properly like charge forward. Mm. Yeah. The, um, we should mention that the changing had been doing some good work slowing down the retributors in the early yeah. turns, um, which was a very good move because the retributors are pretty much like they have to be in front. They're at the core of the line. The line only moves as fast as they do, really, which is unfortunate because they're the slowest models I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with the changeling thing, they were moving two inches, but they could still run. Uh, but in this, you know, subsequent turn, they were able to like run more freely and my force was able to pick up a little bit of speed. There's very much a sense in the game of the Stormcast gaining momentum and getting faster and faster, mm. like slowly, you know, accelerating. 
Um, so yeah, they, they, they went up. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the formulators sort of took a right turn and did a, a drive by on that one remaining, uh, pink horror. They, uh, so they, as they moved past, they just spat on him, spat lightning on him and he, and deleted him. Uh, the general also wheeled around and joined them. They formed kind of like a three person, uh, flanking mover that mm. was just kind of curving in on where the, um, on, on the Lord, Lord of Change pretty much, uh, the Vanguard hunters shot the Gaunt Summoner again, and I believe took it down to one. You health. killed him that turn. Oh, did I kill him that turn? You got him down to one health in the previous turn. I've realised I got the timing of that slightly wrong. Gotcha. Like, um, so I haven't mentioned my destiny dice. I, I had a bit of a, mm. a bit of a shit destiny. Yeah. That's not an excuse. It was like, it was but I, I, um, I rolled a one, which is good because it's for pink horror battle shock. Mm. I rolled four twos. <laughs> yeah, which you can't use. It. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and um, I had two sixes and a five. Yeah, and I used all of them the previous turn to mitigate the gotcha. amount of damage to get going some of the turns, just right. so that I try and get an extra turn out of him, which I think was worth it. Definitely. But um, you did kill him on this turn with the Vanguard Hunters, yeah. which also removes the Vortex, which was in your way. That's so, right. Yeah. And so, uh, like the Vanguard Hunters have, like they've got two wounds. They are Stormcast. They're not like lightly armored or anything. They're still four plus saves and two wounds. And so suddenly there's a big gold force charging down, you know, it was an interesting kind of spiraling motion to the game where uh, as that one, your one flank collapsed and you kind of reconsolidated on the other flank. I also wrapped around and started to kind of uh, encircle you with my most powerful units. Yeah. And I had a kind of hero bus, like there were about three or four heroes just in the same kind of cluster nearby also advancing the branch, which was constantly putting mystic shield on the general to keep him alive. Um, And yeah, there's a sense that, the the net was kind of closing in and Zeech was preparing a big counterpunch. Yeah, you also the a honk from the Herald <laughs> oh, right, was that this turn? blew up um there wasn't the the one maybe not the one you think of, but this was the one that blew up uh, a ruin that I couldn't not cluster around on to form that punch mm. and wiped out all the flamers, which oh, yeah. like which was useful. kind of like a big mm. um you know that that that, that is useful. That's a, a, a chunk of damage that, that goes away. Also did some damage to the Lord of Change. Chipping it down with shooting and stuff. Yeah, although it was still in the fight at this point. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that was like, we didn't really get into combat that turn, I don't no. think. Um, because I had an idea about what I wanted to do and I, I started it on, on this turn. So right. I had some points, some summoning points that they were just kind of balance things out, which we'd agreed on at the start of the game. So the changeling gives up on casting damage spells and summoned pink horrors behind you. Hmm. Uh, not that they're going to do loads, but I know uh, what I realized at this point is that I needed to kill. I needed to just burn through your infantry, hmm. really. And then, because I, I still have, I realized at this point, it felt like a really like one-sided start because I was getting just crushed. Yeah, the it felt like the old days of just like, hmm. I cast some spells and then just get slapped to right. death. Yeah. Um, but this was, I think a lot more, e- like there was still an avenue here for me to kind of like pull this back, but I had to like really like open up the floodgates of damage. Mm. And that meant, um, and I knew how much I could potentially do and how many demons I could potentially bring back with various tricks and that kind of thing. Um, like the Gaunt Summoner's final act was to cast a spell that gives me a new destiny dice. And I rolled a one, which is perfect. Cause it's like more horrors. Yeah. Like stuff's going to keep happening. But what I wanted to do was, charge so that there was big chunks of horrors like or move sorry so that there were big chunks of horrors like three and a half inches from like all of your dudes mm. and then stand there and you either come into me or you don't but i'm not gonna no i'm not gonna try and hurt you in close combat because yeah. i'm not gonna do any damage and you're just gonna get a free round of punches back and you're gonna lose your damage output as they get as they die yeah. as well i'm just gonna stand there and shoot and cast yeah. spells 
Like, it's, it's weird, you know, the idea that this tide of horrors come in and stop <laughs> and then just start flinging magic out and, and sort of goading the Stormcast to come to them. Mm. Um, but I also knew that I didn't have, it was unlikely that I had too much time left with the Lord of Change. So, um, I got him, started to get into a position where he was safe from a lot of the immediate threats, but potentially would be ready to charge on the last turn he was likely to be alive. Yeah. Um, and I did actually manage to do like a lot of mortal wounds that turn with like the Lord changes magic, yeah, like definitely. opening gateways to hell and putting retributors in them and just, and just put like, you know, I've got a lot of mortal wound spells in that army as we known before. And this felt like a less negative instance of them, mm. because I think while it's sad for you to be losing retributors, <laughs> very expected, <laughs> you're counting the value against the amount of damage the Castellan isn't taking, which makes it yeah, feel different, it right? feel different. Yeah. yeah. It was like, they were doing their job, right? Mm. Their job wasn't to hit things with the big hammers. Their job was to take this stuff mm, for sure. And that was, that felt, um, kind of cool actually trying to build that trap it was like a nice moment and it, it, it did make it make it feel less one-sided as well because it's yeah. like you can be you can you know tantris can do his heroics down one flank but if this guy dies mm. i don't care that's right um and then that turn so this is going into round four i won the roll off so i got a double turn mm. so it kind of came back yeah a little bit and um this allowed me to uh, do things like cast full reality on my screamers who charged some liberators in the woods and lost, took some casualties, and suddenly all the screamers are back and you're tarpitted by these creatures that are kind of like streaming into the woods and trying to pull apart your liberators. Yeah. Which was hard going and it was actually those liberators really did hang on for dear life. It was a, a brutal, um, grueling combat that, it, like in my mind's eye, that's a pretty amazing dark sequence where these uh, screamers are coming out of the trees and you know, the, the liberators uh, who have their cover bonus so they've got three plus and they re-roll ones because their shields are just sort of fending them off slapping them away and you know just trying to stay in the fight yeah and then also like the the lord of change and the horrors directly in front of the lord of change just poured all of my firepower into the surviving retributors yeah and managed to kill all of them mm. so like wiped out the paladins before they could do much other than like walk forwards and bash a screamer once yeah um like, and at this point, like, your army was starting to look a lot thinner. Like, mm. you'd taken, like, I'd really done a lot of... It's the thing with those elite armies, you know, you, every, every single model you lose is worth a lot more than, you know, it, it might not feel like you're doing much initially, but the sheer mm. weight of, of, of numbers can eventually win out. And, and the screamers were starting to really chew through those liberators as well. Like, yeah, they're very good. They're a good unit when, when they're flying quite a Yeah, few. like, I used to have three of them, and now I have six, and I'm about to have nine. Yeah. And they're actually, in big groups, they're pretty good actually because yeah, they, there's a lot of wounds. They, uh, you can bring them back with fold reality. They're very fast and they just like, they're really useful. There's, there's never going to be a place where they're not useful somewhere. Maybe not the most efficient unit in the game, but yeah. like they are. I uh, think they, they fulfill a role that nothing else in your army does in that they, they're resilient and they can actually stick around for a bit, which is a utility you, you kind of lack across the army. Yeah. They're, they're good against monsters, which is something we've never oh, encountered true. as well. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of monster killers, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, the other thing that I forgot to mention, cause, so for two turns now, uh, we didn't mention this, in the backfield, your backfield, mm. the changeling has been fighting a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was another long fight. Yeah, so the Castellant's Griffhound charged the changeling. Mm. And the changeling, I, the changeling and the Griffhound's weapon profiles are basically comparable, <laughs> but I think the Griffhound's weapon profile is better against the Griffhound because it doesn't have a save, mm. so the rend isn't worth anything, yeah, sure. than the changeling's default weapon is. So the changeling turned into a griffhound to fight a griffhound. <laughs> so at the back of this battle, Zinch's arch trickster 
was just pretending to be a dog fighting another dog. <laughs> and it took, I think, three rounds of combat in total. Yeah. Before finally, on this particular turn, the changeling did finish killing a dog. <laughs> Got that just eviction. so you know what he's up to, everybody. <laughs> um, so we're in a position now where, however, my, my Lord Change did fail his charge this turn because I knew you were about to get your turn and I didn't think Lord Change was going to survive it. He was on four wounds left. Yeah. I did try and charge just to kind of do something, but it didn't work, which meant that the Lord of Change was sort of stood like over a horde of demons kind of looming at this point over the Lord Castellan, yeah. his former That's sort right. of, um, his former, you know, servant, I guess. Um, and, I, the player, knew that he was probably about to die, but, um, I, the player was also hoping that it would be rad. Hmm. And, um, but like, I can imagine this is the Lord of Change kind of like, I'm settling this myself kind of, yeah, you know, striding, striding forward. Forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then at the start of your turn in your hero phase, a really rad thing happened. And I want to stress this up by saying like, this is the finale of this arc. Yeah. And this is, like this is the 300 time, 300 year time skip after this. So what happens next can have serious consequences for like this army for the time being. Absolutely. So you should. So the, uh, the Castellan with the, the um, Lord of Change bearing down on him, he's been shining his light vizier on those retributors for the entire battle, uh, turns it up a notch and <laughs> unleashes its full force on the Lord of Change. Uh, it's a searing blast of pure Azuric energy. And, uh, this only works against chaos demons. Anything else in the game, it doesn't do anywhere near as much damage, but it's automatically D3 mortal wounds, just straight up. And uh, so I deal three mortal wounds, taking him down to one last wound. And But who should step up to the plate at this point? <laughs> well, the, the Relictor, also 12 inches away, in that forest, even just as he's fending off these screamers, um, casts a massive lightning bolt and successfully chips off that one last wound uh, uh, destroying the Lord of Change completely well, this this is complete Ghostbusters in my mind because so, yeah, it's, it's the lamp and the lightning <laughs> yeah. at the same time mm-hmm. but it's rad because it feeds back to like a game we played ages ago now when my Chaos Sorcerer Lord back when he was a Chaos Sorcerer Lord got flooded with demonic energy you know the oh, turn yeah, when yeah. I spent seven Destiny Dice in a single turn <laughs> so that he could pour that power in which we decided was the power of that Lord of Change yeah. sort of working through him into Tantris and killed Tantris and that was Tantris's second death mm. and it was like all this power turning out of it. and it felt like that came back like that sort of like yeah the revenge that... mm-hmm. and also it's kind of fitting that um, I, I love the idea that uh, the the this Chaos Lord reforged it kind of left left the Lord of Change open like that it just kind of blasts him open and he's just kind of frozen this light for the Relic to deliver the final blow and especially because the Relic has actually been kind of like MVP in a lot of ways throughout yeah. the campaign he's the he's uh, one of the secret main characters he, he, he really is like see quietly he rarely dies he hasn't been reforged very much he's 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 the brains of the operation very much. Well, Tantris is the brawn. And uh, it was fitting that he sort of sniped, he saw this opportunity and, and, and smites him, literally smites the Lord of Change out of existence. Yeah. And I kind of knew at this point that it was probably over. Yeah. Um, but like there was, you know, there's still, there was still some game to play and we thought we were going to go to five rounds. That was the, basically that was round four. Like the rest of, like that was such a good moment that mm. there wasn't like, a lot more to say so your fulminators at this point finally made contact with the, the horrors on my flank yes doing what they do yeah that's the end of them the screamers did manage to kill the rest of the liberators yeah so the sort of trap was closing but the idea is now like do i have enough damage to kill everything else you've got mm. and then get through the castellan yeah 
with his four up save against everything. And the thing is, like, the formulators hadn't taken any damage. My general hadn't taken any damage. Most of my heroes had only taken a little bit of damage. There, there was so many, there was so much power left on the board that the, there's, you know, as your trap was closing in, on one part, the the formulators were coming around, mm. and they were probably going to kill everything. <laughs> so uh, at this point, we did roll off for the next turn. Yeah, we both. Uh, you rolled a one. Mm. I rolled a one. <laughs> yeah, we re-rolled. You rolled a five, and I rolled a four. So you, <laughs> yeah, it's fl- um, flip reversed. Um, we did flip reverse it. So um, was that the right way around? No. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So you ended up getting a double turn now, which again, that was another one of those like yeah, oh, shit, shit. yeah, um, kind of moments. Um, so you prep for the final charge. But we don't need to dwell on too much that happened in this turn, mm. except guess who hasn't had a huge role to play in this whole thing so far? Mm. Could it be the Heralder? It'd be Dr. Dutes himself. Yeah. Um, um, so to get, you know, to get the scene of the, of the picture, the hero unit that he's part of is sort of wheeled towards the thing that most of the fighting is in this forest. Mm. Screamers are in there. Liberators are in there. The relic is in there. There's another unit of pink horrors near it. There's my Herald near it. There's loads of stuff near it. The branch, witch is nearby. Yeah. What happened next, Tom? Uh, Mr. Dutes, Sir Dutes, unleashed the mother of all Dutes on the, <laughs> on the forest. I've uh, written in all caps, final Dutes. <laughs> it's a fitting kind of, like, he just had to have the last note in this. Like he's, uh, that's kind of fed into his character for me now. Like he's the arrogance of, of, of him. Like he's not, it's not his story, but he has to sort of try and make it his story. <laughs> yeah. Especially because this amazing thing has just happened. Like this, like, you got to, like, the lantern opens, the Lord of Change is, like, silhouetted in this kind of golden light of Vizier, the lightning bot from the thing, the two of them take down this creature that's hounded this guy for a millennia and, you know, the yeah, entire yeah. army for hundreds of years. And then, from left field, oh. bonk, <laughs> a forest explodes, doing uh, the following damage. <laughs> it, it wounded, like, all of my stuff, mm. but it also wounded the Branch Wraith. It killed a judicator. Yes. <laughs> and almost killed a liberator. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think the Castellan, oh no, Castellan was fine. He got, he, like he was within range, but I think he was fine. The Castellan, the Castellan saved the wound on his mortal wound save, but, but needed to rely on his like yeah, holy yeah. protection. <laughs> like not, that would have been the only damage he took in the entire game as well. Imagine the glares dude scott after yeah, that moment exactly. people just turning around, what the hell are you <laughs> are doing? You doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was good. It was a good moment. He's a, he's a, he's a champ. Yeah. What a twat. Um, so I was really getting, really getting, uh, taken to pieces at this point. You're killing the Herald. I did. So on the, on the final turn, I had kind of decided we want to play it out. We, I didn't want to call it given it was the final game of our yeah. arc, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to have an ending other than just like, the Lord of Change Dying could have been the ending. Yeah. But <laughs> you honking on the forest for no reason. Could have <laughs> the final the solo. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, we might as well play to five rounds each, right? So we played the same amount of turns. Yeah. So. I did summon some more pink horrors, which used up the rest of my reinforcement points, um, just to get have them shoot. Mm. And I moved the rest of my horrors in, and I flew the herald on disc around the board. The herald on foot had died, and I just thought, you know what? At this point, I'm just going to fire everything at the castellan because there's a chance that enough things within three inches of him die that you can't offset the runes anymore. Yeah, and then there's a chance if I roll nothing but successes. <laughs> That he, you, fa- and you fail all your mortal wound saves and your regular chance, saves. Isn't there? There's, there's a, mathematically, mathematically, I thought, there's probably happen. enough number wang here mm. that a miracle can happen. <laughs> Imagine. An actual miracle. Imagine. And if it had happened, that would have been crazy. That would have been insane. Wouldn't it? Um, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, so I fired everything at him. Just, so this is the finale, I guess, the horror is just sort of whirling around and all of this fire. And at this point, they're being led now by a herald. Mm. 
the changeling is kind of quietly fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he knows the score. Yeah. He can see which way this one's going. Yeah. He doesn't really work for this army. He's, you know, Zinch's mm. presence. Um, and all this fire comes in and you saved all of it. Yeah. <laughs> you were on cover where you were standing on some, like, like a pedestal, which meant that you had like a, a two up save, yeah. but you saved all of it. You didn't like, even need to offset any wounds to anyone else. He no, just, it just, just like, bounced off him. <laughs> but it's this idea that he's just standing there like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Like, and then, so I thought, well, fuck it, in for a penny, in for a pound, charged him with the Herald on disc. Mm. And those two used to kind of pal around together, I think, back in the day. Herald on disc charges in and whiffs everything. Yeah, it's like, nothing lands. And then the Castellan, former of the Chaos Sorcerer Lord, halberd in hand, mm. just cuts that herald in half yeah. like in a single blow <laughs> like think it was kind of like one of those samurai movies where you know, he's yeah. on his on his screen there he's mm-hmm. on his disc and he just like sails past and then yeah in half. um and that was the conclusion of that entire yeah. arc yeah there, yeah there are no leaders left and it, i guess um the demons dissipated just into the yeah like, we've kind of i've used that as a kind of role play reason for why we call games at some point yeah because like, sure. I, I mean i could throw pink horrors at you till you finished killing them all mm. and try and get them back but yeah you know it's like at that it's not you know it's not gonna be fun to resolve that no i, I don't think but and that it will is, yeah. ultimately end one way <laughs> indeed but it's a genuinely really fun battle and a really cool conclusion it so was, it was uh it could have come out of a book like uh, the, one of the round gate wars books apart from like apart from the, the forest the <laughs> he, he, he wanted to do something he just wanted he thought he, could, he was helping <laughs> thought he was helping <laughs> um yeah and it, it was a really cool end and the and so the sort of the kind of mind's eye sense of what happens after this, because you actually never even set foot on the board with the tower on it, but no. obviously you can do now, mm. is that he, you know, consecrates that place and detaches it from the realm of chaos. Mm. And that massive space clock returns to space. <laughs> and and then this is where our time skip kicks in. Like yeah. Your army is going to advance by hundreds of years. Mine's going to advance by hundreds of years. And they will encounter each other again. Yes. But it'll be like the Star Trek TNG of this battle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, all these moments will be legend. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly that Heralder. Especially the Heralder. <laughs> yeah. He was the true hero of the realm. I mean, it wouldn't have been a proper finale to our games if it hadn't ended with a big old honk honk. <laughs> Good times. Shall we do some questions Let's from our listeners? Lots of questions this month. We do have quite a lot of questions. We have actually nine questions. <laughs> oh, perfect. We didn't even design that. No, we didn't. We just well, it's, we, we had spooky. We had ten emails, but one of them was a suggestion for how we could make the uh, episode more zinchy. Mm. And I didn't read it in time, but in ignoring it. We've ended up with nine. And luckily, actually, I think uh, Russell, who sent in our first question, also sent in that email. So everyone's getting there. Everyone's getting their stuff read out. Nice. Uh, Russell does write, Dear Scaly Birds and Shiny Hammers, I recently bought a ticket to the Throne of Skulls tournament at Warhammer World in November. Maybe see you there, question mark? <laughs> Probably not. I'm real busy, but yeah, have fun. It. Like, I'd like to do a Warhammer World event eventually. It's just yeah, not sure. right now. Report Having- back on how you get on, by the way. Mm. be nice to hear. Having brought quite a fluffy list to my first tournament and being thoroughly crushed, I'm hopeful the next heavy weighting, that the heavy weighting towards sportsmanship will make this next one more my style. What are your thoughts on incorporating good behavior into tournament rules in this and other games? How much further could we go with this? When would be too much? As always, keep up the good pods. Hmm. Russell. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it can be somewhat subjective what good behavior is or when someone's being a dick and to what extent you penalize people within the rules as opposed to just kind of hoping, you know, imposing a... An atmosphere of good manners. 
good sportsmanship. I think per what I said earlier about how much work it takes to maintain a good community, I don't, I, I think, I honestly don't see the harm really and maybe that's coming at it someone who like wants to have a fun time more than i want to win and i know there are people who take this really seriously and that's fine but like i would i think in a way i want to see as many accolades for things that aren't simply winning games as there are accolades for winning games Mm. to kind of dilute the importance of just winning a bit and have more painting competitions more you know theme competitions more sportsmanship competitions silly awards for doing silly things that you know what i mean that kind of thing more yeah. fun wooden spoons <laughs> i think you can yeah you can structure it so it's constructive and you're rewarding people for being nice and enjoyable to play with without punishing people because then that gets difficult doesn't it because someone can have bad dice and decide that you know that slaps on with a bad sportsmanship kind of mm. uh, debuff or whatever i do like this sort of soft scoring thing for tiebreakers mm. i think that's a really interesting oh, yeah. idea like that that was the case at blackout and i think it's been the case at recent official warhammer world events as well where gotcha. the first tiebreaker isn't how much stuff you've killed it's your social score all oh, right which is really interesting because mm. it's going to be a lot of people on like five wins but it means that the overall winner is the guy on five wins who is also the nicest <laughs> yeah which is again a good way of training the community and how it's expected to. That, that is cool it, it gets difficult when people are rating each other though it's like the least reliable way of measuring a thing yes for sure but um i think i think people ultimately will see the purpose yeah of it and anyone who doesn't see the purpose of it you've instantly <laughs> identified yeah um but yeah so i i'm i'm all for it honestly like the you know I, call me a millennial but i think everyone should get a prize honestly i think <laughs> if, you, if you put the effort in to participate mm. and you are a genuinely a positive part of it and that you're pleasant to people and you enhance their experience then why not give them something to say thank you for that? Hmm. Right. Come up with an award. Best hat. I don't know. That would incentivize more hat wearing though. Yeah, it but would. Be careful. That, that's true. Yeah, no, I don't know. That's a slippery, a slippery slope. A slippery hat slope. Don't know what I'm talking about. Owen writes, Hi, Tom and Chris. I'm not an army painter, preferring to stick to painting board game and RPG minis. Earlier in the year, I got a cheap airbrush because I'd seen videos on zenithal pre-shading on youtube i don't know what that is and wanted to try it out i've been recently working on my copy of arcadia quest inferno which has a large number of red skinned demons painting one of the larger ones i was trying to do a good job using lamian medium glazing to get lovely smooth highlights after an hour and a quarter i had successfully highlighted two rolls of back fat and a pair of disgustingly far apart demon buttocks sorry disturbingly far apart demon buttocks there had to be a better way After a trip back to YouTube, I got the airbrush out again, and 25 minutes later I'd done my best highlighting job ever on the entire demon. What are your thoughts on airbrushing, especially with regards to e.g. speed painting pink or blue horrors? Keep up the good work. I'm enjoying experiencing tabletop gaming vicariously through you guys. Owen. Hmm. Good question. I I, I find them quite intimidating uh, because of the kit and sort of ventilation needed and that kind of stuff. Um, I know our good friend Rich McCormick loves a good airbrush and he used them to do his 40k vehicles and he, yeah, I think he'd swear by them. Yeah. They create a very particular effect. Mm. I'd be nervous about introducing them to an army I'd already painted. Right. Because yeah, that's what you mean. airbrushing looks like something's been airbrushed and, and uh, you know, mm. like a new army. Sure, I think so. Like, I don't think... There are certainly like airbrush looks I don't like, but that's nothing to do with the technology. Yeah. It's to do with a an approach to airbrushing. Um, the stuff that looks like, like tattoo art, right? Like, yeah, like it can look okay, but like, you see a lot of it, quite harsh shading and stuff like that. Mm. And I, I don't, I'm not a particular fan of, of that, 
look, I think, although that's nothing, again, I say that's nothing to do with airbrushes, so that's just how people use them. Yeah. I thought about it, but yeah. I think anything that involves a pump I find intimidating. Mm. Cycling. Right. This. <laughs> Airbeds. I don't know. That's fair. Bounty castles. <laughs> uh, I would say, would you, would you ever, ever be tempted? Maybe. I've been, I've been spending a bit of time, I've been wandering down to Hobbycraft. We've got a big Hobbycraft shop in the, about a mile away. And, um, I've been wandering down there every now and then just to kind of have a look at stuff. And they sell like, they've got a really good collection of like Tamiya paints and stuff actually, which is really oh, nice cool. to know. Like, you know, good modeling stuff, good terrain stuff. There's oh, nice. lots of model railway stuff. Yeah. So it's worth checking out. But they, they sell at like starter airbrush kits and I don't know how good they are mm. or whether the, the stuff people would recommend. I did think about it. And maybe I would consider it, but I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's quite intimidating to kind of introduce a whole new set of techniques I might not be good at. Not that I'm the best painter in the world, but <laughs> I feel like I've, I've dumped a lot of XP into that particular progression tree now mm-hmm. that to go to a very different kind of painting. I don't know. Maybe I would just level up immediately. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what kind of experience it would be. It, it is, um, like glazing up can take ages though. Um, mm. that's something I've definitely been struggling with. When I paint my skeletons, I wonder if I'm going to... I was planning to glaze them up to get a smooth finish on the bone, but I wonder if I can be bothered. <laughs> I don't know if you need to. Yeah. Necessarily. I'm not I sure they'd improve things to put that amount of effort into it. It's just bones in it. It's bones in it. Uh, next up, Robert writes, Dear Heretex, Since your last episode, I picked up a starter box of AdMech and I'm attending a social paint section at a local games workshop. Thanks to the resources you spoke about in the last episode, they've been a real help. The Citadel Paint app is great, and Warhammer TV is really fun. I'm now looking to get into the lore. Oh god, what is happening? Do you have any recommendations for novels or audiobooks? I remember the extended universe Halo novels range from excellent to garbage, and I'd like to avoid the stinkers. Additionally, are there any fan-made projects like Vartividia for the Souls series? Many thanks, Robert. P.S. My mum actually did win a Chaos Demon at a church raffle. I was surprised <laughs> as you are. Uh, I love that story. <laughs> So it's one of those brilliant one-line stories that you see go around Twitter, you know, yeah. a story in four words. Mum, one demon, prince, raffle. <laughs> um, no. So I imagine, I mean, we've banged on plenty about the Horus Heresy novels, which I still think are the best yeah, those are great. Warhammer-related novels. Um, if you want, and I, if you want something ad-mech specific, there's almost certainly ad-mech fiction deeper in the heresy. Mm. somewhere yeah we've yet to i mean heresy is huge isn't it it Just is 30 or 40 books but probably. so there will be ad specific novels and i think that that series is relatively safe from total garbage yeah i've not encountered any yet that was a, a big podcast voice. yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've liked every heresy novel i've read so far not all of them the same but i've liked all of them yeah same um and um yes so what else would I can like think in terms of? I feel like the Admech are a little bit underserved in that sense. They think they might be, yeah, because uh, they like they're they're an awesome range of models and they've got really cool backstory and stuff. But they they're rarely the star of it. I think they they always seem to be like a background force in a lot of the fiction. So mm. um, yeah, maybe you've identified a gap in the market there. I think maybe they're harder to personalize a little bit because yeah, of the whole kind of like true. Robo Men getting a getting a signal and getting a messianic signal from a man on a satellite hmm. you know what i mean there's not loads of room for like he was the skitari who didn't play by the rules <laughs> so they switched him off <laughs> and then turned him back on again <laughs> then he played by the rules <laughs> there's some uh, fun stuff with glitches because a lot of their te- technology is kind of based on golden age 
technology, like mm. the Castellan robots and stuff. And half of the problems they have with them is just the settings are bad. <laughs> and they, yeah. They're really hard to fix because they don't really quite know how they work. So uh, the, the, there's some fun stuff there. But I, I wonder if that translates into characters or mm. particularly big hero characters, mm. which is what 40k fiction thrives on. It's very hard. Apart from Belisarius Call is obviously very important now. Although there are a few admech stars to really carry yeah. a book unfortunately mm, yeah you're right like lot. How about, i haven't actually really listened to any audiobooks have you tom uh yeah i've listened to a f- some of the garrow ones uh, mm. uh, which link back into the horus Harry scene uh, i think and they are expensive <laughs> is what i would yeah. say very expensive i mean i understand why because you know there's a lot of production work that goes into it and if it's not like a a, like a mass market thing you want a few people you, you like in order to turn a profit i can understand why they're charging 30 quid for, for one and stuff um but uh and they're they're quite good they're they're quite schlocky in a in an entertaining way and they're very fun to listen to while you're painting and easy to follow in that sense you get a lot of uh people putting on space marine voices uh which is very entertaining even yeah. though it's not the best <laughs> work in the world they're all british they're all very very british yeah. and they all talk in a similar sort of way but they, they have to make space marine sound sort of slightly different so you, yeah you've got the the gruff space marine and the, the pompous space marine yeah. <laughs> the two types of space marine <laughs> for the emperor yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked uh i think my favorite space marine voice was uh, mark strong in the video game space yeah marine. he's fantastic in that he's got he's got the, the he's actually quite space marine yeah Mark Strong, yeah, <laughs> the is. man. It's called Mark Strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> strong Mark. Yeah, Strong Mark. Marcus Strongium. <laughs> I like him a lot. I think he's, he's perfect for the role. Uh, yes, we like Mark Strong. But the, that, that's <laughs> what I like boils down to. Yeah, exactly. That's the definitive answer um, to that question. Yeah, I thought about audiobooks, but when I don't like an audio thing, I really don't like it, I find. I felt about podcasts and stuff as well. Then, then you'll find the, the Warhammer audio universe to be a gamble, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I actually always find that whenever, um, like a Zinch demon talks, cause I have this oh, sort of like right, cosmic yeah. sense of them in like, um, I think, th- I think this happened in the, the teaser trailer for the disciples of Zinch book back in January. And like, I'm not saying that like a bird man isn't going to sound a little bit silly. And, and, and I know exactly what the Lords of Change are based on, right? Like they're going to be kind of like creepy bird man. Yeah. Yeah. But. Like, I also enjoyed the, the kind of cosmic horror element, the kind of like the wordlessness of it, that maybe it's a voice you hear in your head. You know mm. what I mean? Like it's this sort of scratching at the edge of reality. And so when they do give that a voice and it is like the <laughs> kind <laughs> of like, <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of, it is weird. And yeah, that, that, the that disrupted a voice, voice, uh, vocal cord there. But yeah, no, it can. I mean, it's full on like that goblin voice I did on the Crane Crow about that one time. Just like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Big skill. So yeah, sometimes better. Although actually I have really enjoyed the stuff they've done for like the Nurgle characters recently, like mm. on those little silly shorts they did. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, that was good. Our next question comes from Pete. It's Fiennia on Discord. He writes, Hi there, little tiny models and the people that paint them. My question this month is, when is it time to say, okay, I need to stop buying models because I have three armies I haven't painted yet? <laughs> I get the impression you guys are pretty good with this. You both have fully painted army and I think you don't have a cupboard full of unassembled minis stashed somewhere. I have done pretty well making headway into my project recently, but I'd say probably only about 50% of my miniatures are painted. How do you do it? Thanks. Pete slash Fiennia. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we both do have things we haven't painted stashed yeah, somewhere. Lots so just to make you feel better about that. Hmm. Yeah, like I've still got 
all of pretty much all of the Nurgle from my 40k set and still mm-hmm. some primary space marines. You know, that's probably my biggest pile of shame thing where will I ever paint those things? I'm not even sure. There's yeah, I, I feel like I was, yeah, I'm concerned about that. I, I've, I've got all the Primaris, all the Nurgle from that box, mm. which I still don't know what I'm going to do with. I just right. like them. I might just paint them and because I like them. Yeah, they're and that's acceptable. Nice. Um, I've got a big pack of boxes of Zango. Mm. I've got some Chaos Spawn that I haven't painted. I've got a big stack of Silver Tower Heroes I didn't get around to because I oh, painted yeah. all the Silver Tower Heroes that we use. Yeah. Um, I've got some other things lying around. That I've, made. I've got a decent amount. I've got definitely, it's not definitely, I've definitely painted more than 50% of what I've got. Definitely. Mm. But I've definitely got a big enough backlog that buying models is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it, but mm. yeah. But that's why little things like Shade Spirus are appealing because mm. it, it doesn't feel like a, it also feels like there's extra utility. There's lots of gaming stuff going to come out of that as well, not just a hobby thing. So, um, that's more of an acceptable purchase. I've yeah. got those stuff. I've still got a Star Drake, as I've mentioned. I've got, um, three Palladors. I've got the Palador General for the, the Vanguard. Um, I've got some Admech. So you have plenty to get on with and a, ra- a Mage Wrath throne that I need to paint. Big old chair. Uh, and some, some more of the forest where the floor is only half finished. Yeah, so the, like, I mean, I think it's, obviously, it's always okay not to buy things, which is <laughs> yes, stressed And I think I, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I had that little inkling yesterday, I was in GW all day, all day, hmm. and I just bought some brushes that I didn't even do need, because I knackered my dry brushes right. on this most recent project. Yeah, they didn't last long. And I, I ran out of null oil, which is a miracle, it's taken <laughs> long enough. Um, so I did buy those things, and that was like, okay, you know, scratch the retail itch a little bit, but it was like, I do need those things, like, yeah. for my next projects and stuff. I was like, just eyeing the start collecting slaves to darkness box. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I start my Chaos Warrior journey now. I was like, Chris, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Paint the things you've got. I think that's a, you know, you also don't need to buy things as they come out. They're not going away. Yeah, definitely. Also, at the moment, we are approaching the danger zone because they're very likely to do no. big box deals yeah. over Christmas again. Mm. And if there is, you know, those hundred pound mega boxes they did, they were amazing. They were amazing. Mm. Um, didn't you get the Stormcast one of them? No, no. I, I, I missed the window. Right. I, I couldn't remember where your prime had come from, but no, it's a standalone prime. But like, if there's one of them for like slaves to darkness, then mm. I might do that. That could happen. That could happen. Mm. So we'll see, you know, like there's always going to be temptation. Um, but I think. I don't think you're ever going to regret not buying something unless it's time limited mm. and most things aren't. So you'll be fine. Basically. Um, shades by is good as well because they're snap fit models. You can play with them straight away. Yeah. Like you're actually getting some value out of it. Even if you don't paint it straight away, so you can feel less guilty. Mm. But other than that, I, yeah, I think it's all always okay to say, I need to stop buying models. And, um, I actually really am happy that I've managed to break that out of that cycle a little bit myself. Mm. I think it's uh partly the reason I've managed to stay disciplined is because I got like a mother load for Christmas last year and that's been my year of painting the whole year in one Yeah, one I drop. put I put quite a lot of money down right as um disciples as each came out. And yeah, I was, cause I was leaving my job at the time and it was like I might never have money. <laughs> right. Um but um and then obviously I got distracted by other things in the in the months since but yeah. I think yeah 40k was the big purchase that wasn't necessarily expected to make. But uh it's because I was like it wasn't inspired by the Caradron Overlord's release. And like, I, I like the models and stuff. I think it's a nice thing, but I don't, like we've said at the time, I have no urge whatsoever to buy any. So almost there, there's been less temptation this year than there has been. That's true, actually, because it hasn't been a new AOS exactly, thing, yeah. scale. Like, um, you know, all, there are all these rumors that there are going to be, you know, these like elf pirate Cthulhu elves next year. Mm. That really might pull me in a different direction <laughs> yeah, if that happens. Yeah, like, true. or if there's a new Skaven. 
oh, like yeah. all those things could happen and that might mm-hmm. I, I might end up that long. i think one thing so no i know pete and i think one of the things here is that if you have a longer history with the hobby than we do and you've got armies from a while ago that are still hanging around oh yeah then that can make it harder to kind of it makes it easier to start new projects because you've already got so many but also you might feel the pressure to keep those things up to date and kind of add new things to those things. Yeah, it kind sure. of becomes exponentially big. So mm. the fact, I think it's helped us both that we kind of really have an army each. Yeah. You know, we haven't got like, you're not sitting on a destruction side project and no. I'm not working on high elves, you know? Though, um, if they do a death release, I will have a death army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, maybe that's the thing. Maybe we're rolling around towards second army time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, it was going to be interesting to segue to slightly different force makeup over Christmas, but at some point in, that, in my hobby future, there there will be like a switch to one of the other main alliances. Yeah, and, and who knows what it will be? There'll probably be order for me. Order such a big faction. Yeah, that... there's loads of stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. probably be death for me. Lovely death. But yeah, so uh, I guess the how do you do it is start less long ago, and uh, we don't. Um, <laughs> uh, Next up is James, who writes, uh, Hello, Tiny Caricatures. I recently discovered the podcast at just the right point where I, too, a 30-something mostly employed person, am falling back into the Games Workshop hobby. My question is thus, are you peeps interested in any of the older games from the Games Workshop canon? I've recently been uh, politely asked to remove my old models from my parents' house and soon discovered my Necromunder gang, so hyped for that new version, my Gorkamorka Digger Mob, Skaven Mordheim gang, and even an undead Blood Bowl team. I wish to go full nostalgia and actually play some of these long forgotten games while not blood bowl seems most of these properties end up as slightly wonky video games but alas they seem to be long gone even in pdf form also i had the pleasure of listening to your podcast while scrubbing detol soaked minis clean of pre-teenage paints that should have been thinner hmm. and i think i got slightly high so apologize if you've answered this before <laughs> kind regards uh james um so i mean we, we can't keep banging on about more time can we I mean, we can. The the, the other <laughs> uh, and and will <laughs> the um the other one that sprung to mind was Dreadfleet, which mm. uh, we, we had a box in our old flat, and I never painted any of it, which was which is a crime because those models are fucking awesome and had a big beautiful mat. It was a very beautiful game, and hardly ever really played it. Uh, so that that was a wasted hobby opportunity, I think. Um, but I wasn't in, as into it when um into the hobby when it came out. It was that was almost yeah. a, an aborted attempt to get back into the games workshop stuff. Um, that was that was a great box, um, but yeah, more time, hundred percent. I used to have a, a war band of pirates who were one of the, the sort of official add-on uh, t- uh, war bands that they really put put into White Wolf uh, regularly, and uh, they were hilarious, <laughs> really, <laughs> really terrible. They um, once like in a climactic like four or five way final campaign battle. They started off in a house that just caught fire straight away. <laughs> just, you know, the, the bad shit can happen in more times than certain yeah, places. Yeah. And the, their house just caught fire and like most of them died. <laughs> and they just didn't fire. do anything. In an unrelated house fire. Yeah. The, the, the pirate captain had, um, it was so rich, such a rich kind of, um, place for conversions to happen all mm, time because definitely. they were, uh, the factions are less kind of canonically tied because they are just like rogues in this horrible city. They can kind of be anything. They could be like quite non-Warhammery. Uh, types of characters like the Sisters of Sigma were quite different to yeah, the yeah. Empire stuff that you'd seen before. They really felt like its own thing. And the Skaven were fantastic. In, in I had Skaven Warband. Yeah, they were awesome. Yeah. Yes, I'd have, like, yeah, short of more time. I don't know, actually, because I think a lot about, I think a lot of these games are coming back, and I kind of wouldn't be surprised if more time did come back in some form mm. or something like it. Um, but I'm also aware that, like, 
there's a lot to do. You know, we, we, we had this idea that if we played a quick game of AOS today, we'd play some Chase Buyer and we played a four and a half hour game of AOS yeah. and we didn't play some Chase Buyer. And I guess what I mean by that is we still haven't got around to playing Shadow War and mm. I have a limited capacity and we're both obviously like kind of giving Necromunda a pass, at least for the time being, because there's not enough time. Yeah. So in a way, more games coming back isn't actually, I'm at capacity, right? Yeah. I think I'm at hobby capacity, at least at the moment. So, you know, um, I'd love to see stuff around, but I also kind of want to see it in an accessible form where I can get some of the feel of it without it necessarily requiring like, mm. oh, I need to plan my more time terrain board now. You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, that's true. So that's not, I mean, not to say there's not lots of things I wouldn't be happy to see come back, but it's almost more like I'd like to see some of the feel of those games just r- arrive in mm. games I already play or something yeah, like that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, next, we have a question from Guy. It's quite a long question, so I'm just going to kind of skim through it. A little bit, <clears throat> but uh, he talks about, and I, of course, because I think we want to talk about the the subject of this as, as much as the specifics of it, which is he talks about how uh, there's recently been some positive attention. He states an article on Bell of Lost Souls about uh, quote unquote feminist 40k in the presence of female space marines, mm. and, and but also the arguments that tend to appear in comments threads about that, about how women can't be space marines in the law and so on. Um, he asks, um, you know, why, you know, it says, I don't understand why some people are so anti having more women in the hobby. I think that's the underlying reason, nothing to do with law. And that's an excuse. Um, that's from Guy. And I think, you know, we were talking about this during the break, Tom. Hmm. Um, while it is really easy and, and correct to get frustrated with people who, you know, dig their heels in and gatekeep excessively these communities and, find reasons to uh, often arbitrary reasons to explain why something can't happen or to hate the latest new thing or and that is often targeted at these issues i think my feeling now is that the onus is on not not dwelling on those people but creating better spaces yourself hmm. basically yeah i agree i think it's you know um you only let other people ruin your hobby to the extent that you allow them to basically i mean it's frustrating and it can be annoying and it can be obnoxious but uh you're in control of your hobby at the end of the day and and you you have the power to represent those positive changes make your hobby your own and and show other people that by turning up with cool armies and you know uh, being positive about it and i think that's a much more positive way of affecting the kind of change because obviously you also want to demonstrate against workshop there's demand for more diverse characters Mm. and that kind of thing and I, I think, from my my impression is that that is something they're working towards. There's obviously a long lead time on their models, so that affects yeah. things. Um, but that pressure is not going to be effectively exerted worrying about what people say in Battle Lost Souls comment threads, honestly, mm. or on any other part of the internet. Um, it will be effective when you create your own communities where people feel welcome and able to explore the hobby and find something about the hobby that appeals to them. And then those people feel encouraged to wander into a games workshop and go looking for something. And their presence and what they do and don't buy will then start to accept that pressure and things they say and the people mm. they bring into it. <clears throat> Sorry. So, yeah, I kind of want to move away a little bit. And I appreciate that I spoke a lot on this podcast about some of the negative consequences of communities and, and that kind of thing and how it carefully needs to be maintained. But I think part of that is not – I think this is true of video games, right, as well, where we both worked. Mm. You, it's so easy to dwell on the people who uh, – create this toxic atmosphere um and it can distract from the necessary work of making a better one 
Yeah, for sure. Um, but that, but uh, you did that, Chris, with your X-Wing army. You turned up with um, a force that you found exciting to play and you kind of tried to bring that positive aspect, uh, outlook to the game and change it for yourself in that way. Yes, I think I think you can. Yeah, I think you can do that within yourself and try and connect with like-minded people in that way. But I think even in, just in the context of how you talk about hobby and, and what sorts of things you uh, let bother you, and what kind of people who the kinds of people whose views you entertain, mm. I guess, is important, yeah. right? Like, what kind of arguments do you fancy having, basically? Right. <laughs> and and I just don't think that one's you know. Um, oh, I think it's I think it's worth raising, and I think it's worth you know people saying to games workshop we want more diverse models in every possible way that i have no that that is a useful thing to write about and and talk about and and you know i absolutely share that i guess what i'm saying is i don't anymore see the value in dwelling on Mm. the recalcitrant elements of the community because they're better left behind on the journey of something better than fought with because that all that does is is uh, almost used to wargaming. It almost it tarpits you in that <laughs> right. in that debate, right? It's never constructive as well. No, no one ever changes their mind who wasn't yeah, already exactly. going to. Yeah. So yeah, sorry for the, the slight bummer question. We'll move on um, to James, who writes, "Hi, chaps. Uh, we've all had that discussion about how powerful you should make your army list in Warhammer. Interestingly, I found the problem far less pervasive in historical wargaming, despite the rules often being just as exploitable." as GW's offerings. I think it's because historicals have a different context, i.e. trying to create authentic armies and simulate the challenges faced in a particular time period or battle rather than simply winning. Do you think Warhammer could benefit from a similar kind of context? Could GW release faux historical battles with preset orders of battle and terrain layout to provide a different type of challenge? Cheers, James from Deepest Darkest Dorset. Mm, They sort of do that with the Horus Heresy, don't they? Yes, the Horus Heresy books do have historical quasi historical kind of how to recreate this battle type yeah. things and and heresy gaming generally has some of that atmosphere to it yeah i think yeah. um to be honest i think this is partially encapsulated with the narrative play as an idea mm-hmm. right like we feel the need to kind of balance things a little bit but if you were the chillest person in the world and didn't mind getting your ass kicked at all right then there is nothing stopping you saying like, i'm gonna give you twice as much stuff as me we're gonna see what happens yeah for sure right so it is something I think they entertain. I think it's, it's more the players aren't that good. And I speak for ourselves here, right? Like it's, it's not, you don't necessarily feel good about going into a game at a huge disadvantage. I think because you still approach it as a game. Yeah. And also that it's because there are interesting, uh, there's an interesting competitive element to outmaneuvering one yes. another that, that is actually enjoyable. And for that to happen, you need a, a degree of balance. But yeah, it depends on the players. I mean, in tournament context, I'd, I'd always expect people to rules lawyer as much as possible for an advantage. That's kind of the point of um, those. Yeah, those it's about how you do that in a way that doesn't create a negative experience, yeah. basically, yeah. which is a skill. Hmm. But yeah, I think it's worth... Um, I don't know what else they could do to encourage it, really. I think they've just got to keep presenting the option. And they do. Every time they release the new General's Handbook, hmm. it's the first one that's listed. Play it narratively, you know, or play it in an open way. Yeah, the, there are narrative events. I'm not sure how like massively successful they are and I think like that they can often err on the side of adding loads of extra rules to the game and making it like quite difficult to tell a story but I think there's loads of potential there for mm. like narrative days where you come together and you form a big story and then write it up and distribute that to everyone yeah that happened this weekend actually oh, at cool. Raw 17 oh, yeah, I haven't found out how that went yet but yeah, that's right. that. yeah. Um, so yes it does exist and it's just it's more a question of the appetite for it I mm, guess for sure uh, Michael writes 
Greetings, Chris of Change and Tom on a Star Drake. Eventually. One day. I, wrote, I said that. He, he, he just said Sean on a Star Drake. What book or video game or TV series or literally anything else would you like a minis game of, either for the modeling and painting aspects or for the game? Uh, Michael, who's Rogue Michael on Discord. P.S. If the GW store site annoys you with its random country thing, I made a browser extension to help fix it. So check out on the Chrome extension site or come and ask in Discord. That's true, actually. And it's, it's really good. That is a good fix. That website yeah. is so annoying. It's, the Games Workshop website likes to send you to an arbitrary country for no reason <laughs> at, at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Michael did do a very good plugin for that. That's a really good question. And just mulling over some, some options. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. It's difficult, isn't it? Because um, we've spoken before about you know the challenges of translating, for example, Star Wars into a miniatures context, where yeah, uh, that sort of realist, realistic uh, depiction of people often doesn't translate as well as like mad characters. So I'm trying to think of just characters where. Like, so I, I'm going to just say it. I'd paint Dota. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. And that is dumb because those two is based on Warcraft 3, which is obviously based on the Warcraft games, mm. which is based on Warhammer. But there's a design language there that kind of follows through. I think they'd make good miniatures. Yeah. And I'd happily paint one. I don't know what I'd play with mm. them, but I would paint them happily. I would paint the heck out of a Dune miniatures game. Oh, shit. Son. <laughs> yeah, that would be... Oh, imagine um, that. Y- yeah. Uh, it's full of cool vehicles. Just dry brushing a sand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, I mean, that's got... Just very visually distinct factions from the Fremen to the, um, the Sardorka and Harkonnens. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. That's a really good suggestion. Yeah. That's a really good suggestion. Made me think of it when they, um, released that Forge World Sisters of Silence vessel. Um, oh, the, the, the Karanquisitor. <laughs> it looks evil. It's yeah. amazing. I love that model. Yeah. It's I, very I, Dune, I, isn't it? I would buy one just to paint it and in that same black menacing color. And you, you can imagine a whole miniatures range looking like that. Damn, that is a really good suggestion. I think, yes. Hmm. I want to mm. paint an ornithopter. Hmm. Hmm. Spread. I don't have a better answer than that, so I'm not going to just flail for one. That's, that's really solid. Yeah, damn, that'd be really good. Hmm. Okay, Dune stuff. Yeah. yeah Dune should be, Dune's ready for a revival, right? Every time someone tries, they make it it goes bad because it's so huge and it's, it's just a, a massive beast to try and put onto screen or into, into different contests. It feels like it should be more of a, it should be a thing, right? A Game of the Thrones, Game of Thrones you, you, could bring, thing. you could yeah. bring back June, surely. I think I would like a, there must be cyberpunk miniature games. That's kind of necromunda. Hmm. Mm. It's like you wouldn't want like a Blade Runner miniatures game because it's just dudes in coats, right? Yeah, no, I was thinking that. I kind of want the palette of Blade Runner. That's yeah, what I was thinking. I realized that you're kind of. just painting another gosling. Yeah. You just have to set up a smoke machine at the start of every game and you know, exactly. shine hazy neon lights through it. Yeah, exactly. And it, and um, you know the game you just roll dice and then for how want... sad your android yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you roll a one and you just have to give us a little liquid on that subject. <laughs> That's it, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Dune definitely. A final question, the ninth question. It's a very good question, and it comes from our friend and former flatmate, Tom Hatfield. Hello, Tom. Hi, Tom. And Tom writes, The setting is the Triumph at Ulanor, a massive planet-sized party held by the Emperor to celebrate the peak of the Great Crusade. You are the Adeptus Bacchanalis, the Emperor's most trusted party planners. In order to further bond the Space Marine Legions and prevent the threat of heresy, 
He has ordered you to organize an 18 Primarch karaoke competition. But what does each Primarch sing? Oh my goodness. That's an excellent question. <laughs> Every month, a new silly heresy era, <laughs> which space marine is the best at kissing type question. This is a challenging one. So I... I'm going to do this like we did dating Space Marines mm. and go through the Primarchs. Okay. And we might have to return to some of them, yeah. but we can at least start getting some ideas out this, there. We can workshop this. We can do this. So the First Legion, the Dark Angels, and their, and their Primarch, the Lion L. Johnson. Or Lionel Johnson. Lionel Johnson. <laughs> um, mm. There's a sort of, you could go for a pun here and go for like the Lionel Richie. Like the, you know, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, yeah, good. But, um, so I think any song with the word falling in the title. Yeah. Because the fallen being a thing. So, um. Is there an Evan- Evanescence song about, because they did it. Yes. Uh, Evanescence would actually be perfect yeah, for the Dark got Angels. That, that dark um, yeah. yeah. I was thinking falling by Heim, but I don't think that's mm. like, that's like too upbeat, I think, for Dark Angels. Um, are there any songs that say secretly I'm evil <laughs> <laughs> or not or not? Um, I think, I think Evanescence is a really good shout yeah. for them or like Lacuna Coil. <laughs> I'm going to go deep. Nice. That song from the end credits of Vampire the Masquerade. Mm, mm. No, they'd love that. Yeah. That's, um, so skip the second legion cause they're not, no one knows Who what happened to them. Uh, Fulgrim of the Emperor's Children. Oh, prog rock. It's got to be some big hair metal. I don't, I, I, you see, I think prog is a more substantial, more substantially a Zinch thing. Yeah. I think Slanesh is more like, oh, yeah. kind of like smoky lounge mm. kind of environment. But you've got to have some fabulous hair in there as well. That's hair metal, maybe? Hair metal. Okay. Are we thinking, Interesting. are we thinking maybe like extreme, like pornography or decadence dance? Nice. From, there all right. Yeah. Okay. Decadence dance. No, okay. Sold. <laughs> oh many to go <laughs> so many 18 uh well no 16 now mm. uh the fourth legion the iron warriors perturabo some craft work or something uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> autobahn <laughs> he just hums it yeah. and then he's not there anymore <laughs> perfect um fifth legion the white scars jagatai khan so I think ZZ Top. I'm thinking <laughs> right. biker metal. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like or like Born to Be Wild, something like that. Like that's kind of. I think Born to Be Wild is probably. I, th- I think that they they lack the self awareness not to sing that. Yes, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, they would unironically they, sing yes, Born to Be Wild, completely earnestly sing that and be really into it. <laughs> um, Sixth Legion, the Space Wolves. Oh god! Yeah, right. So there's an obvious choice, which is like immigrant song or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. right, like any oh, Viking would as well related thing. That. It's almost too easy, but it is. I think. I think. But if if Lehman Russ is singing this, mm. I don't know. I think he might go to a different place, like because he's kind of a a dick, right? Yes, like I don't yeah. know if you'd necessarily get the bellowing Lehman Russ. Mm. Um, maybe like. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that one. I don't want to think about Lehman Russ a bit. I've got one for Magnus. I've got one for Magnus, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, maybe like Hungry Like the Wolf. Yeah? They can't <laughs> like not have more of, in More it. croony. I don't know why I see him being <laughs> more croony. Yeah, he's less bellowing. That's, yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Uh, the Seventh Legion, the Imperial Fists, Rogal Dawn. 
um, something extremely boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this would be like one of those songs that you make kind of volunteers to sing that goes on for too long and is boring. Yeah. Like, um, he'd be the only person to accidentally sing a sad song at karaoke, which is always a huge mistake. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking Michael Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I was thinking, uh, like, Hurt by Johnny Cash, possibly. Oh, yeah, okay. could yeah. really bum everybody out. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, I hurt myself today in the pain glove. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I hurt myself yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see if <laughs> I still <laughs> feel six. <laughs> six hours later. <laughs> the, the Imperial Fists. Remix. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Eighth Legion, the Ninth. The Night Lords. Oh my god. Conrad Kurz. Oh, uh, he would be the best karaoke. <laughs> he would, yeah. He would be amazing. Yeah, it would be like, spe- uh, um, he would be so charismatic and just so into it. The Cure, maybe? <laughs> right? I'm thinking, like, uh, it depends, like, um, I don't know what I'm saying, he sings like Friday Am in Love or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he's a vampire man. He's but, a big yeah. old Dracula. Yeah. I, oh, <laughs> Meatloaf. <laughs> out of hell out of hell yeah, yeah that's perfect that's night lords yeah um perfect. incidentally f- full-on karaoke tip don't sing paradise by the dashboard light or any meatloaf song in karaoke because they go on for a million years <laughs> yeah. and there's a four minute solo in the middle where you have to stand there like a twat <laughs> and also you're not meatloaf and also you're not meatloaf <laughs> so it's not gonna work right how drunk you are uh this one to be good ninth legion the blood angels oh. sanguinius sanguinius I-, I imagine being like a crooner i don't know yes why. angel boy right like <laughs> yeah. voice of yeah. an angel um <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, what yeah, he, you, don't, you don't look, you don't think of it to look at him, but he's actually got an extremely <laughs> high falsetto counter tenor. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, what would it be? Let me think. Um, or it could be something could, like James Blunt. It goes to like a, you're beautiful. <laughs> you're beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, or like, um, Star Sailor. Yeah. Coldplay. Mm. Hmm. No, it's not. I mean, it's Blood Angels. In trouble. It's got to be some. There's got to be Fury. Like because Sanguinis is also Fury as well as. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, Trouble by Coldplay would have been good. Uh, yeah. I meant to cause you trouble, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're all sorry with vampires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there's also something kind of gothy there as well because they are vampires, yeah. right? Like, um, like he's fabulous. He's got big wings and everything, isn't he? Yeah. He's almost like not weirdly. He's. I don't think of. Um, the Blood Angels as Space Marines being anything like him because they're they're always like they're not very showy at all and he's actually quite he's one of the showiest Primarchs they are pretty showy they're very ornate they're very Catholic mm, in their maybe that's Space it. Marineness um, maybe hmm. no he's not sad enough for Morrissey but Morrissey mm. may come back um, someone's getting a Morrissey someone's getting Morrissey not him though not him um, there's I think you're right on like crooner with a countertenor Kind of, yeah. I can't think of a song that would. Fit. What's um, the kid who sang, who's now a grown-up proper singer, who sang the Snowman? What, well, Alan Jones? Yeah, Alan Jones. <laughs> I'm walking in the air. Yeah, okay, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm walking in the air from the Snowman. There you go. <laughs> um, next up, Tenth Legion, Iron Hands, Ferris Manis. Oh man, uh, some Otecra. You just sort of. It sounds like a 56k mode. That's right. It just goes, it goes on for eight minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's trying to connect to the internet in the, yeah. in the, in the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, good. Uh, 11th Legion. No one knows. 
Twelfth Legion the World Eaters Angron. Oh man, what's the some fucking Slipknot or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, crawling in my skin. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> That's done. The butcher's nails. There they are, crawling yeah. in my skin. Perfect. Um, oh, this is perfect. Thirteenth Legion. Reboot Gilliman oh, of the Ultramarines. Imagine. The goodest boy. He would be so embarrassing at karaoke. Oh, God. He what would, would it be? So it has to be the most straight down the, the most earnest. Thing. Ed Sheeran? Could be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Could be an Ed Sheeran. But I, I'm thinking almost like a, a buble or something, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, God. Like, it would be a song your nan likes. Um, Like, maybe he would, he's not got the edge to go for Sinatra, right? Like, no. Like, no. No. No, he's, he's too self-effacing to be yeah. to, to do ghost Sinatra, um, but ballpark that sort of thing. Yeah, and it would, but it wouldn't be like um, it would be a Christmas number one. It something. would be a Christmas number one. It'd be Cliff Richard. Oh yeah, Cliff it Richard. would be a Cliff Richard that's, song. That's which it. Cliff Richard song? Um, I don't. I can't think of names. Maybe he. Oh, no, I know. They all blur into one. They do. Deeply mediocre. It would be a Cliff Richard song. It's what we've gotten yeah, down so to. A Cliff Richard, basically. Yeah, a Cliff Richard. And anyone, it doesn't matter really. Yeah, exactly. Just swap them in yeah. interchangeably. Um, <laughs> 14th Legion, Mortarian, the Death Guard. Oh, God, yeah. This would be some sort of grotty metal. Grunge. Grunge. It would be grunge. Um, well, because he. Actually, so he hates his dad, both dads. Mm. He hates his two dads. Mm. And he's got a terrible cold. Um, I, yeah, I think we can go safely with grunge, but the idea is which, where we end up, it's not going to be, uh, I mean, to be honest, actually, Smells Like Teen Spirit actually does work. Mm. Um, cause it does like smell. I feel contagious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. That'll do um, it. Yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit. All right. right. 15th Legion, Magnus the Red, the Thousand Sons, go. And I think Sinatra did it my way. <laughs> and i'm sorry i'm through it all <laughs> so i was going to go for hocus pocus by focus because <laughs> it's just like seven minutes of tooven throat singing over a guitar solo i could see him doing that but i could can you see him with his hair with yeah the, billowing like just, yeah like he's, he's got a fan in front of him he's yeah, got exactly. several fans in front of him just to blow it back as he's, yeah. as he's doing it uh, and then yeah, yeah and then like armin's find him on electric guitar yeah that's him yeah that's yeah him. um but I also like the Sinatra for Magnus as well. Just, I, I, think, I, think he, I think he, I think he, he can blend both. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? He can do the kind of like, Council at Nikea, he sings, <laughs> I did it my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then fast forward, post-burning a prosperous planet of the sorcerers, it's just prog forever. <laughs> <laughs> he's a man of many, uh, many aspects. Yes, he's gotten, he's gone on a kind of Paul McCartney arc. Lots of, uh, lots of, yeah, lots Actually, of. Actually, Paul, Paul McCartney is not a terrible shout for Gilliman. Gilliman, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Especially um, his newer stuff. Is the the destiny song that he did? Yes, like yeah. So the really earnest hope for the future would be the future. Yeah, (laughs) that's Gilliman's song. Let's change that one. Yeah, right. That's changed. Um, Okay. Uh, 16th Legion, the Lunar Wolves, Sons of Horus. It's Horus himself, Horus Lupark. Oh, okay. Gosh, the War Master. War Master himself. He's Uh, the most charismatic man. um, Let me see. So it would be the man who's the most full of himself. Mm. Is this where we get to Morrissey? <laughs> like, Maybe, yeah. Um, hmm, but what? No, it's not. It's not. He's not miserable that way. No, it's not he's extravagant enough, yeah. right? Like, um, it's. I was saying, like, bad by Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that one. Yeah. I, li- I like the just hang your lantern on it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, who's bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Um. 
18th Legion Salamanders Vulcan. Oh, okay. There's a lot of good fire songs. You could have Ring uh-huh. of Fire with Johnny Cash. Um, and it would, it follows to me that he, they'd also sing a Johnny Cash song. Yeah. Uh, you could have, uh, Fire by, oh God, as in like, I am the god of hellfire and I bring you fire. <laughs> I bring you. my fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think Vulcan sort of very carefully staring at the screen, mm. reading every lyric of relight my fire <laughs> is where this goes. Yeah. I like that. Cause also he's a, he's a perpetual. He keeps coming back. Uh, you keep relighting his fire. That's perfect. Your love is my only <laughs> desire. He has, has to be clapped. You have to kill him to nice. stop him. From <laughs> exactly. <doing karaoke>. Yeah. <laughs> you have to defeat him in mortal hand-to-hand combat in order to stop him, the salamanders, from continuing. We're getting there. 19th Legion, the Raven Guard, Corvus Corax. <laughs> has ghosted on this entire karaoke session. Yeah, he's, he's just in disguise. And when he does, you force him out to sing. What does he sing? Hmm. What's his deal? He can choose not to be seen, to be invisible. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, he's stealthy. His ravenies are again another gothy marine. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it would be something. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, how to disappear completely by Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, Radiohead's perfect. Actually. Yeah, like Tom York, like a, yeah. sort of a, a sort of soft, whispery York impression from. Yeah. You don't even know he's doing it. And and like, it, oh, it, he's singing. He's and uh, he sings. Um, yeah, I'm not here over and over again. As part of that yeah. song. <laughs> like, <laughs> while he just tries to hide yeah, on stage. Um, like, like uh, Gilliman is talking too loudly about what he's thinking. He, thinks <laughs> he doesn't even realize that Corvus Corax is singing. Yeah, fantastic. I was just thought that actually a little bit for Dark Angels, if we uh, a little bit of Depeche Mode, maybe. Oh, yeah. It's not a bad chat. No, it's not a bad chat either. Um, is there any that we missed? Oh, we've got one more, one more oh, okay. Primark. Yeah. Which is the Alpha Legion, the oh. 20th Legion, Alpharius <laughs> Omegon. Okay. It's not going to be good. Well, no. Um, their, their thing is frosty, isn't it, as well? Their thing is like tactics and deception and oh, okay. sort of, um, LMFAO party rock anthem <laughs> because I don't know as every day he's shuffling around like every day okay. he's somewhere else I don't know maybe that's not quite right hmm. maybe um don't know is there like maybe there's a case to be made for Morrissey and Alpharius I don't know Someone we found Morrissey. no home for Morrissey yeah, that's the trouble I mean it's weird isn't it I mean who's the most Sort of self-obsessed and sad, Lehman uh, Russ sensitive. Lehman Russ. You think? You think? Either Lehman Russ or the Lion. I think Lehman Russ might be the Morrissey. Maybe, maybe Lion. Maybe the Lion is is the Morrissey one. Because, yeah, hmm, hmm. Yeah, the problem with Morrissey being Lehman Russ is Lehman Russ definitely isn't a vegetarian. Right. That's like a, <laughs> let alone like a militant yeah, vegetarian. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Difficult. It's hard. It's a hard question. Yeah. However, you are the quarry. Would be kind of hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm struggling with Alpharius and Omegon because he is like I don't really know much. About I am Alpharius, is the whole thing, right? Like different people <laughs> keep showing up claiming to be Alpharius, right? He's like a tribute. Like, mm. Don't know. <laughs> we can't. We can't not have almost on all eighteen Primarchs. Oh, that it's, yeah, it's hard on. Um. He, you know, someone who provokes a air of intrigue about themselves, like you can't not truly know them. 
Who? Jim Morrison. Yeah, that's not a bad the shout. Doors. The, yeah, the doors. Yeah. It's not a bad shout. Like, try and try for that mystique. Yeah, like, is he dead? Is he not dead? <laughs> Where'd he go? Look at his lovely hair. Lovely hair. I like the doors though. I'm not huge big on the Alpha <laughs> yeah. Legion. Yeah, but, but that will stop him from doing it. In yeah, it, yes, exactly. That's not about. It's not about the perfect association. It's about who. What would you sing about what yourself? They would do, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Riders on the Storm kind of fits as well. Like, yeah. Kind of like... Yeah, that would, that would be... Yeah. All right. Well, we got it. We did it. Tom, we did it. We <sighs> we answered that entire question. We could have copped out and just done a few funny ones that we could think of, but yeah. we did all 18 Primarchs. So good for us. Yeah. Send in your questions. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us miniatures at com, where we will receive them and answer them on a future episode. That's all of the podcast we've got time for. Indeed. Indeed. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you would like to hang out with our uh, growing and increasingly rad, well, growing and just continually rad mm. community, you can do so on the Crate and Crowbar Discord. The link for that is in on our website, com, And the uh, channel you're looking for is Role Models. Role as in roller dice, models as in models, but also role models. Mm-hmm. You can see what they did there. Uh, if you would like to... Uh, if you'd like to, then you can support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. Every, uh, every dollar we get towards the main PC gaming podcast that we do also supports our side projects, including this podcast. So we directly benefit from that. Also, uh, if you can and you feel like it and you would like to, uh, leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes is very helpful because it helps people find it. And, uh, we were doing reasonably well recently, I think, in the context of games and hobbies. So it'd be really nice to, to push it in front of people if we can. And tell people about Pod, because that does help mm. as well. If you have a miniature friend, a miniature friend, <laughs> <laughs> um, then we can be your miniature friend and their miniature friend. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, Tom. Mm. It's been a long day of Warhammer. It has been a long day of Warhammer. How can people find you personally on the internet, Tom? Uh, I'm on Twitter at PCGLudo.io. I've also got Instagram, which is actually, you're going to have more luck seeing miniature stuff on there, because it's, it's just me taking pictures of my miniatures. And that's uh, Ludo Paints Minis. On Instagram. On Instagram. Uh, I too am on both of those things. I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N, and on Instagram at Exit Warp, which is E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P. And we collectively are on Twitter as at Minis Monthly, which is where you can find pictures that we decide to post there sometimes. Mm. Why not? But yeah, uh, thank you for listening. And you will catch us again at the end of next month. See you next time. Bye-bye.